This is roll call. All Broward County Commissioners, please report to the dais so we can start the meeting. All Broward County Commissioners, please report to the dais so we can start the meeting. We're ready. Good morning. Could you please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance? Led by Commissioner Udine. Thank you, Madam Mayor. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is customary in these chambers that we observe a moment of silence, not only for those um, who we've lost, but for the brave men and women that both serve here and abroad. Commissioners, do you have anyone to recognize this morning? No, okay. With that, we'll have a moment of silence. Thank you, you may be seated. Commissioner Lamarca will be attending the commission meeting by phone today. Commissioner Lamarca, are you there? Not called in yet? Okay, perfect. Just so the audience knows. So I know you heard that wonderful music coming from our speakers. This morning, Commissioner Geller selected performing the performing um, the four musicians from the Symphony of the Americas and the Vice President and Executive Director, Rene Labonte. The musicians are Valentin Mansurov, Aziz Sapiev, David Pedraza, and Marina Lanau. Please, please Mr. Geller. Commissioner Geller, for a few words. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, I have been in office now for about a year. I have never received as many compliments on anything <laughs> as I have for picking the string quartet of the Symphony of the Americas. You've heard them all introduced. These are performers who have all played around the world. Uh, the Symphony is a recipient of Broward County's Cultural Investment Grant and is now performing in their 30th season at the Broward Center. I believe many of you have seen their brochures. Um, I've invited them all three times that I've been able to uh, uh, choose the music. I've invited live performers to showcase the great cultural talent that we have here in Broward County. And guys from or the uh, string quartet, you guys really knocked our socks off. You were absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. You, you, I was blown away by how good you were. And finally, I'd also like to thank Earl Bosworth, the uh, director of the county's cultural division for helping coordinate today's performance. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank you. We have a Broward Means Business Proclamation today, and this is for those who are just coming in now. We recognize businesses who contribute to our economic security and to the um, job pr um, productivity in our um, county. Uh, the proclamation today will be presented to Tony Bidet, the owner of Las Carnitas Latin Restaurant. 
could you please join me at the podium? So this proclamation reads, whereas Las Carnitas Latin Restaurant opened its doors on September the 20th, 2006 in Fort Lauderdale, and where Las Carnitas specializes in a delicious Latin menu filled with pupusas, baliedas, Mexican tacos, grilled meats, burritos, typical Honduran food, empanadas, seafood, and more, and Whereas since 2006, Tony Bidet, owner, has transformed Las Carnitas into a place for tourists and residents from South Florida to enjoy authentic Latin cuisine made with quality and fresh ingredients. And whereas this year's Las Carnitas is expanding to a second location in Lauder Hill and now has 30 employees. So Lauder Hill's Commissioner Holness, would you like to come on down? Okay, and Fort Lauderdale. Is that... Oh, that would be Tim. I don't think he's here. Okay. You, would you like to come down? <laughs> come on down. <laughs> Las Carnitas Latin Restaurant and its employees recently hosted a series of fundraising events donating over a thousand meals to assist recovery efforts in Mexico and Puerto Rico. And whereas Las Carnitas is a strong supporter of cancer research and assistance, they help provide access to cancer treatment for a young Honduran girl, Natalie Hotch, by assisting with transportation to the United States, housing, and other needs. And whereas the last 11 years, Las Carnitas has supported many community organizations, including the Boys and Girls Club, local churches, the Honduran High School Marching Band, and Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the board hereby designates Tuesday, November the 14th, 2017, as Broward Means Business, Las Carnitas Latin Restaurant Day in Broward County, Florida. Thank you. 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 Uh, good morning. Thank you for the mayor and commissioner for this special recognition. Thank you so much. Everybody's welcome to Pastor Las Carnitas. Thank you. Okay, wonderful. So our, our next presentation um, is a presentation of new book to Broward County Commission, and the, it's presented by Seth Bramson, author of Broward County. Mr. Bramson, are you here? Wonderful. 
Thank Would you. you like to say a few words about it? Sure. It's such a great pleasure and honor to be with you. Uh, as Kimberly might have told you, I am America's single most published Florida history, notice the disclaimer word, book author. And above all, I'm honored that Broward County in Arcadia's postcard history series is my 29th. Uh, it's a great honor because I was asked to write this by the publisher. And above all, our mayor was kind enough to write the foreword. And we're very honored. We have covered every community in Broward County. It's the first ever history of the county with the books and the histories written of Hollywood, Fort Lauderdale. I wrote the Hallandale Beach history. But it's just, uh, I think everybody's going to love it and enjoy it. And I have inscribed the first copy to Mayor Barbara Sharif with sincere thanks and warmest good wishes, signed here in Fort Lauderdale today, 14 November 2017. Mayor, a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, our next proclamation is for National Hunger and Homelessness and Youth Homelessness Awareness Month, and this will be presented by Commissioner Nan Rich. And with Carol Hatton, Chair of the Broward County Homeless Continuum of Care Advisory Board, Michael Wright, Homeless Initiative Partnership Administrator, Scott Russell, Broward Sheriff's Office, and Norm Embry of LifeNet for Families, please join us at the podium. Thank you, Mayor. Wow, this is a privilege this morning uh, to present this proclamation. I serve on the uh, Homeless Continuum of Care Board uh, with uh, these wonderful people, and I'm proud to present this proclamation today. Uh, we have, uh, as you've heard, with uh, Michael Wright is not with us today, our Administrator for Homeless Services, because he's at a charrette, which is an intensive planning process to um, look at a framework for helping to remove barriers to homelessness, and it's being conducted over at Salvation Army. Uh, so we can actually hear from the people who uh, receive our services and need our services. So uh, we do have with us today, though, Carol Hatton, as you've heard, is the chair of the uh, Continuum of Care Board, and Scott Russell is uh, he's a veteran of, <laughs> of this, right? Uh, Norm Embry. Norm's here from LifeNet for Families, uh, and um, uh, and also, of course, Mandy, and Esau is stepping in for uh, for Michael this morning. Okay. Whereas for the past several years, the National Coalition for the Homeless and Student and the National Student Campaign Against Hunger and Homelessness have sponsored National Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Initiatives, and whereas Congress officially declared November as National Homeless Youth Awareness Month on July 11, uh, 2007, and whereas there are many reasons adults, youth, and children are hungry and homeless in Broward County, including the shortage of affordable housing in the county for very low-income residents, 
And whereas the Broward Homeless Continuum of Care is a housing-focused and unique coalition of over 145 nonprofit, community-based, faith-based organizations and government agencies that serve those experiencing hunger at risk uh, and or of, hom of homelessness, and whereas this, the COC and its partner organizations recognize that hunger and homelessness continue to be a serious and growing problem for individuals, families, and youth in Broward County, over 2,400 men, women, children, and youth experience homelessness and hunger in Broward County on a given day. And whereas the COC and its partner organizations have committed to coordinating their efforts towards ending homelessness in Broward County through Away Home Broward County's annual plan to end homelessness, and whereas the COC and its partner organizations play an important role in educating and persuading local governments and law enforcement not to implement policies and laws that make it more difficult for people experiencing homelessness to exist in our community, and whereas the COC and its partner organizations encourage all citizens to recognize that many people do not have housing and need support from citizens, government, public-private part nonprofit service entities. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the Board hereby designates the month of November 2017 as Hunger, Homeless, and Youth Homeless Awareness Month in Broward County, Florida. Wow. Good morning, Madam Mayor, Vice Mayor, and Council Commissioners. I'm Carol Hatton, and I'm the chair of the Continuum of Care. I kind of got that job, and, and I was so excited about it. They do such wonderful things, and uh, your support is very important to us. So I thank you for this, and I'll bring it back and share it with everyone. And as uh, Senator Rich said, we're having a charrette today that is really delving into the way home process so that we have everything that we can have to serve the homeless in our county. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for the proclamation, Mandy Wells, Division Director of Community Partnerships Division. Um, just briefly wanted to say uh, on behalf of the Homeless Continuum of Care, and most importantly on behalf of the hungry homeless and um, families and children that are on the street, thank you um, in particular to the County Commission and also to the County Administrator for dedication, commitment and, and leadership in this area. You truly are making a difference. Thank you. These were just audience polls. This is on the 37th, that's regular. Okay. Are we going down? We're going down or up? Stay up. Okay. move your chairman Yes. This, Here, 
Carrollton. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. The next proclamation will be presented for Education Support Professionals Day by Commissioner Michael Udine. Can Mr. James Harrard, political director of the Broward Teachers Union, please join him at the podium. Good morning. Whereas public schools are the backbone of our democracy, providing young people with the tools they need to maintain our nation's precious values of freedom, civility, and equality. Whereas education support professionals are an integral part of the education process. Whereas educational support professionals provide a safe and healthy learning environment for students. Whereas education support professionals work tirelessly to serve our children uh, and communities with care and professionalism. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the Board hereby designates tomorrow, Wednesday, November 15, 2017, as Education Support Professional Appreciation Day in Broward County. Thank you. Is that this to you? Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Oh, we're going to do a picture. Say anything? Oh, sure. Good morning. On behalf of Broward Teachers Union and the Educational Support Professionals, thank you so much for acknowledging us. It is very important to them. The work that we do in the schools with our special needs students, we change diapers, we do toileting, we have to take hits, uh, kicks, spit on, we have to take all of that. And with the pay that we get, it's certainly not, it doesn't show the um, work that we do, but we do what we do because we care. And so we want to say thank you to um, Commissioner Udine for submitting this, um, uh, presenting rather, this proclamation to the Broward Teachers Union ESP. Um, it's National ESP Day tomorrow, as you probably know, this entire week is National Education Week. And throughout the entire country, um, tomorrow they'll be re recognizing all of the ESPs. If you're not busy, we certainly extend an invitation to all of you to come tomorrow from 4 to 6.30. We will be having a huge celebration at our office, which is in Tamarack. Thank you again. Okay, our next proclamation is presented for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Can Ms. Mary Rydell, CEO of Women in Distress, please join me at the podium? And Karen Leichert, our board chair, will, will be with us as well. Thank you, Ms. Leichert, for joining us. Okay, let me read the proclamation. It says, whereas the residents of Broward County are this county's most precious resource and ensuring their safety, well-being, and positive development is a priority and responsibility that we all share. And whereas one in three women 
and one in four men have been victims of physical violence by an intimate partner within their lifetime. And whereas the exposure of young children to such violence is occurring at an alarming rate and whereas the U.S. Advisory Board on Child Abuse and Neglect suggests that domestic violence may be the single most major precursor to child abuse and fatalities in this country and whereas Women in Distress of Broward County, Inc. is the only nationally accredited state certified full service domestic violence center serving Broward County through a 24 hour crisis intervention hotline and emergency shelter, as well as offering counseling and support for victims and their children. And whereas by providing individuals with education about healthy relationships and by changing attitudes that support violence, we work to stop domestic violence in Broward County. Now, Therefore, be it proclaimed by the Board of County Commissioners of Broward County, Florida, that the board hereby designates the month of November 2017 as Domestic Violence Awareness Month in Broward County, Florida. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor, and thank you, Commissioners. Uh, just on behalf of all of us at Women in Distress, our board, our trustees, our volunteers, and most especially the women, men, and children who today will be safer because of your support. Uh, the Commission and has been so supportive, both many personally and the county, on many levels, and our fight to break the cycle of domestic violence is so much better because of your personal involvement and the county support. So thank you on behalf of all of us. All righty, good morning, good morning. We are ready to go into our regular agenda for today. But before we do that, I've just got a little bit of news for everybody on the dais. We have just learned that our own county administrator, Bertha Henry, will be one of nine 2017 honorees for the public official of the year by Governing Magazine. year, Governing honors outstanding public officials who have made an indelible impact on the lives of people they serve. This year's nine honorees are outstanding examples of the strong determination, the bold ideas, and the incredible amount of grit that it takes to get things done in government. Bertha will be honored in Washington, D.C. later this month, but um, I have the privilege of circulating the full ad on Bertha where they wrote everything, I mean everything, three pages worth. And um, I know that she's not a person that really um, likes to be recognized, but Bertha does a whole lot for this county to keep us on track. 
to pull us out of the recession and to do the things that we do and to make us look good. And so again, Bertha, we just want to say congratulations and thank you. Monica birthday, it was me. <laughs> she gave us the look. All right. <clears throat> So we're going to go ahead and get started with our agenda. For those of you in the audience, please turn off or silence your cell phones. Um, any member of the audience who wishes to be heard on an item, please come forward and fill out a speaker form that looks like this to my right on the dais. Once the item is called, no one will be allowed to speak on that item um, after that, and no further speaker signups will be taken. Um, if you have not done so, please go ahead and sign up. When you're called upon, you'll have two minutes to speak. Please keep your comments brief into the subject being discussed. We ask that you address the commission in a polite manner and that you refrain from making impertinent or slanderous remarks or personal attacks. If you fail to do so, your microphone will be turned off and you'll be escorted out by security or law enforcement. We ask that those of you in the audience respect the views of those speaking today. As such, we do not allow any applause, cheering, booing, or catcalls during or after speaker comments. We ask that you do spirit fingers instead if you agree. Um, Additionally to that, I'm going to go ahead and read the Tuesday morning memo. Consent items are items numbered 1 through 30. Public hearing items are item 31. Regular and supplemental items are items 32 through 45. Withdrawals and deferrals. Items number 38, 39, and 44 are requested to be deferred until December the 5th so that all nominations for all three at large are available to all commissioners. Positions for the Medical Marijuana Advisory Board can be considered concurrently. Staff has been advised that the additional nominations will be forthcoming from other commissioners. Scrivener's errors, there are none. Um, there are no items that will be moved this morning from, consent, from regular to consent. Um, item number 35 is a time certain at 11.30 a.m. There is additional information. Item number 24 has signature pages that have been received. Items 34, 40, and 41 um, are to be considered concurrently, meaning they will be heard at the same time. Item number 37, Commissioner Holness would like to be listed as a co-sponsor. An additional material, item number 11, replacement of Exhibit 1 submitted by the Office of the County Attorney. Item number 17, a memo to the board submitted by Environmental Protection and Growth Management Department. Item number 24, a memo to the board submitted by the Office of the County Auditor. Item number 29, a memo to the board regarding human rights board recommendation and submitted by Commissioner Nan Rich. Item number 32, a memo to the board submitted by County Administration. Item number 33, information on 2018 state program list of priorities submitted by Intergovernmental Affairs slash board selection. Board section. Item number 33, paren 2, 2018 State Program Commissioner Ranking Sheet submitted by International Intergovernmental Affairs Board Section. Item number 34 and 45, memos to the board submitted by the Transportation Department. That concludes the reading of the Tuesday morning memo. At this time, I'm going to go around and ask for polls. Commissioner Udeen? I don't have a poll, but I'd like to be listed as a co-sponsor to item number 29, please. Okay. Minute Secretary. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Rich? No polls. Commissioner Bogan? 
Uh, well, I have no pulls. I also would like to be listed as a co-sponsor to item number 29. Minute Secretary. Commissioner Ryan. Item two, and I want to be listed as a co-sponsor on item 29. Okay. Vice Mayor Furr. No pulls, but also Okay. Commissioner Lamarca. Okay, so Commissioner Lamarca is not on the phone at this time. All righty. Uh, Commissioner Holness. Commissioner Geller. No polls, but also co sponsor 29. Okay. Minute Secretary, please show me as a co sponsor on item 29 as well. And, well, why don't we just do everybody on the dais except I don't have Commissioner Lamarca on the phone, so eight. Okay, county administrator, anything? County attorney, no. county auditor. Okay, at this time, um, I've, I have the audience polls from the agenda, uh, from the consent agenda. I have items 10, 12, and 14. So at this time, can I have a motion on the consent agenda, please? Move it. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed, let the record show that that passes unanimously. Okay, so um, the first item that was pulled was item number 10. Two. 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 No, who pulled two? I did. I pulled two. You pulled two? Okay. So we need to reconsider the consent agenda. Um, because. You, you mentioned it, that it was pulled. Right? I did? Yes. Okay. Two, 10, 12, and 14 are off the consent Okay, perfect. Okay, so Commissioner Ryan. Item number two is a motion to approve a supplemental agreement with regard to roadway work that's being done on Ravenswood Road uh, between Sterling Road and Griffin Road with a six-month extension date um, to the uh, county administrator. Do we have somebody from staff that can speak to the basis for this six-month extension? Mr. Tornisi. Good morning, uh, Richard Tony's, Richard Tony's Highway Construction Engineering Division. Uh, the extension is for um, some delays associated with storms, storm events we had, and some utility work. So it's probably the completion date is going to be in the first quarter of uh, 2018. So we're just a little bit behind schedule with the, with the weather delays. All right. So what what we have here on this stretch of Ravenswood Road, it's a, a two-lane roadway that is being resurfaced, and then also there's some improvements, I guess with the addition of uh, complete streets with sidewalks, bike lanes, uh, bike paths. transit, um, some drainage improvements to okay. milling and resurfacing. Yes, uh, okay. it's uh, basically multiple improvements. Right, because we have we completely redid the transit terminal that is uh, just north of Sterling Road on Ravenswood. Uh, my concern was um, a number of the businesses have you know complained about the disruption. And of course, there's always disruption when you have roadway work. Uh, but I believe this started in September of 16, and right. and here we are, uh, about a year and a half into the project. We're very close to a year and a half. And when I saw in the backup that it mentioned a six-month delay for the hurricane, I, I couldn't understand why why that would constitute a delay of that time frame. No, we we just added additional time for the grant, so the reimbursement time. So that's that's just for the grant purposes. But we expect to be finished in the beginning of 2018. Right, does it look like you're getting? Funding from yeah, just Department for funding purposes, really, the six months for funding purposes. All right. You know, you mentioned that um, 
the delay was a result of um, the hurricane, Hurricane Irma, and also um, some utility work. You know, this is something we, we run into frequently uh, about underground utilities that apparently the, you know, the as-built drawings that we, we see are not the same as what you find as the utilities that are in the ground. Um, just as a, as a general concept, uh, is that always the, the governmental entity's, res, you know, uh, responsibility? I mean, if somebody puts utilities in the ground and they do not have um, appropriate drawings or pull permits or for whatever reason the, the county doesn't know about these underground utilities, is the county always responsible for the additional cost to relocate? No, the, we, we often uh, have the utility companies pay for those type of damages. Uh, so uh, in, in, in a lot of events, uh, we, we, we foresee them. Uh, some of them we don't, uh, some are un unknown. And as we uncover them, uh, usually utility companies have been cooperative about relocating, but sometimes we do uh, receive damages from the utility companies. Okay. So to the county attorney, I mean, I guess you have delay damages. That's factored into so many other contracts. What other damages um, does the county seek redress for utilities that um, for one reason or another, the company has not notified appropriately the county of their location. I'm not aware of the specific contract terms here, but obviously we would pursue whatever damages are available, either statutorily or under the contract. Okay. With that, I'll move item two. Second. All those in favor of item number two signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show item two passes unanimously with those on the dais. Item number 10 is the next item pulled from consent. That's by Mark Morgan, an audience member. Mr. Morgan, could you please come to the podium? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Mayor. And for the rest of the commissioners, Mayor Sharif was, was, was nice enough to give the Miramar Citizens Commission a two-hour meeting where we were able to sit down and discuss the issue at hand, which is the approval of a land use plan amendment for the development that is going to go right next to Everglades High School. And I think it's appropriate that we address that issue, and we really haven't done that uh, from a planning perspective or from the support that we have received from uh, the city of Miramar or the planners itself. So consequently, what we would like to do to address the questions that uh, we proposed to you that we just didn't have answers to and the time that it's going to take to get the support from the county planners to provide those answers is to postpone or and table the hearing that is now that before you now for December 5th because I think it's going to take a lot more time to identify the safe ways to school uh, issues, the amount of traffic that's going to be created by the construction, uh, the, the thousands of, of truckloads of, of fill that's going to be required to elevate that property up to the uh, mandated code. And so that's what we were requesting from the Miramar Citizens Coalition which is a group of uh, 10,000 people that have signed our petition. This is truly a regional issue that deserves your full attention. And at this point, it's premature to have a hearing on this. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Morgan. Um, at this time, 
Um, I do have Dennis Mealy signed up on item number 10. Mr. Mealy, could you please come forward? Uh, Dennis Mealy, 200 East Broward Boulevard, on behalf of the applicant. Uh, this application has been underway in the city of Miramar for over a year. Uh, we've had a number of neighborhood meetings. We had, a, we had two planning and zoning board hearings. We had a city commission hearing. We had a Broward County Planning Council hearing about a month ago. Uh, today is your motion to advertise the hearing for next month. Uh, all of these issues that Mr. Morgan mentioned has been, have been discussed at every one of these meetings and every one of these hearings that we've talked about. So I'm not sure why there is now a short, shortage of time to prepare. Uh, this has been going on for quite some time. If you have any questions, I'll be happy to answer them. Thank you very much. Mr. Milley, I'm going to have you stay there because I have a commissioner that's asking a question. Commissioner Ryan? Mr. Mealy, I know you're quite familiar with this project. It, um, it's 337 units on 120 acres, so it doesn't seem like very high density. But it indicates that the um, affordable housing element is uh, $500 per unit. That seems a little lower than what is frequently um, provided for by developers on projects of this nature. Uh, how did you arrive at the figure of $500 per unit? Well, first of all, the county staff found that we met the policy. Uh, you recently had a, an amendment in plantation that met the policy, and they're paying $250 a unit. So we're actually paying twice as much as your most recent similar, uh, similarly situated circumstance. All right, that answers my question. Thank you. Vice Mayor Furr? Thank you. Um, to the county administrator, could I ask Barbara Blakeboy to come up? Thank you. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I noticed on the on the background it shows at the planning council there were there was some opposition to this. Sure, there was a, a, an extensive discussion at the October 26th planning council meeting. Um, Can you elaborate on that? Sure, okay. um, and also um, when if this item is set for public hearing at the request of the um, citizens coalition, we'll be including the minutes as part of your uh, exhibits that are included with that. We don't have the minutes yet. Um, there was an extensive discussion. Um, there was five speakers from the public um, that came forward and. There was discussion amongst the members. Um, there was some discussion about the environmental, um, the wetlands on the property, um, and the level that that um, that those the benefit I guess index of, of those, and the decision that the um, county staff uh, is going to ask for mitigation offsite for the uh, for the wetlands, which are primarily Malaluka. Um, and identified as such on the county's wetlands map. So a lot of the discussion was about that. Um, there was a little bit of a discussion about the affordable housing, but as Mr. Mealy mentioned, the applicant um, in the city, the city was determined to meet policy 2.16.2, but the $500 per dwelling, additional dwelling unit is in addition to meeting that policy. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. Uh, Commissioner Udin was there, anything you recall, right? Like. Australian pines came up. Australian pines, <laughs> primarily Melaleuca um, on the site. So that was pretty much, that was the discussion. Okay. Hadn't a lot of those already been burned off, no? Burned that, off? Or, yeah. um, I can't speak to the site. I don't know if Mr. Mealy um, okay. wants, to, wants to weigh in on that. I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the question. Well, I, saw, a lot, I know a lot of the Melaleucas over in that <laughs> area, they'd already been trying to either burn them off or get, you know, get rid of them. But they're still there, obviously. They're still there. Um, the only area on the site that we basically don't have, Malaluka, there are very high uh, radio towers that are owned by the Univision uh, Broadcasting Company. And underneath the towers, they had to clear areas for the guy wires. Other than that, 
the site is basically covered with Maluka, as shown on the Broward County wetlands map. Okay. So we're, we're suggesting mitigation somewhere else in the county? Mitigation is being suggested at a wetland bank, uh, okay. which is the, you know, we have three permits we have to get for wetlands, Army Corps of Engineers, South right. Florida Water Management District, Broward County EPD. And at this point, all three are recommending taking it to a wetland bank because the wetlands are such low quality, it doesn't make sense to keep them on site. Okay. Uh, the other thing I want to point out, although the Planning Council and the MPO study found that we had no uh, road improvement obligations, we have committed to a series of road improvements with the City of Miramar that we also uh, read into the record at the Planning Council meeting, so we would co be committing to those same improvements to the county as well as the City of Miramar, even though the studies found that we're responsible for no traffic improvements. Barbara. Yeah, I apologize, uh, Commissioner Udine just reminded me there was an extensive discussion, obviously, about transportation. Okay. Um, and one of the things is that, as Mr. Emily just mentioned, the analysis um, for the 2040 long range plan shows that the links that are significantly impacted are not adversely impacted because they're level of service C now and anticipated to remain level of service C in the future in the long range. All of the improvements that were uh, proffered at the city level, which are many to intersections and turn lanes and that sort of thing, um, Mr. Mealy, on behalf of the client, um, has made them part of the uh, commitment to on the county also. So that means that that voluntarily, voluntary commitment will also run with the county amendment and be subject to a legally enforceable agreement. Um, in addition, uh, Mr. Mealy um, has been communicating with the um, school site. Um, sorry, the school safety. Um, office and they're setting up a meeting to talk about the um, interaction with the uh, adjacent or across the road Everglades High School. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Commissioner Rich? Yes, thank you. Uh, Barbara, could you, would you mind? Yeah. Um, I just, I, want, I wanted to know, you mentioned something about the affordable housing and that they had enough. They, mm -hmm. they, they met the requirements. Whose requirements are they meeting? This, uh, so here? policy 2.16.2, which is the same policy carried over, uh, readopted into Broward Next from the old policy 10707. Basically, the affordable housing uh, policy that was adopted in 2006 and that the county um, agreed to, it's really a menu of options. So what it says that a municipality can demonstrate compliance with this policy through a variety of different ways. They can um, collect funds to be um, used uh, for their affordable housing programs, they can have policies, they can have strategies. Um, so there's, it's, we call it the A through J menu of options. So when an, um, an application is proposing more than 100 new units to the Broward County Land Use Plan, part of that submittal is information for affordable housing. It's reviewed by the county staff in turn and then um, a determination is made whether or not they meet the policy. So in this case, the information that was submitted, which is part of the full amendment package that will be provided to you if a December 5th hearing is set, um, was determined to meet the policy. The $500 per unit is in addition to the meeting of that policy. Okay, because I, I remember there was a conversation that the county had one set of, of standards with regard to if a city actually met, uh, I, I'm not talking about what's in the Barrow Next plan, just uh -huh. overall, and then they use their own data to determine that. So in, in this case, um, and also one of the hearings that you just set this morning that will also be on December 5th is the update of the administrator rules document. 
and informally county staff has been reviewing all of the information provided for affordable housing against this Meridian study that's going to be adopted into the rules document but they've been using it informally already so that's used as the base data for all applications um, and will be used moving forward also um, what the policy also says or what the administrative rules also says is that um, additional information aside from the base numbers can be submitted so it's not just the base numbers there can be additional information submitted I, I understand you know that um, mr. Mealy and, and all the people working on uh, on uh, plans right now are meeting this what, what we have set up as mm -hmm. the as, as the guidelines and the requirements um, but you know for my my, my feeling is that um, as I'm looking at uh, what other states and other communities are doing ours are extremely weak and the 250 or the $500 uh, is really you know not taking the place of having an affordable housing uh, unit so uh, again I think we need to take a look at our at what we're doing and make sure that uh, it's significant enough to make a difference madam mayor thank this you I just Mr. wanted Mayley. to point out that although the new rule is not yet in effect, we were we prepared the study in accordance with that new rule as if it was already in effect. Okay. Um, and is aren't we just now discussing putting this on a public hearing? Yes. It sounds like we're having the hearing now. Um, we are okay. we are just putting this on a public hearing. That's what this is about. Okay. All right. So with that, that concludes the discussion on item number 10. Can I please have a motion to set for public hearing? Second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously with those on the dais. Um, I still do not hear from Commissioner Lamarca, so I'll wait for him to call in. Okay. Um, item number 12 is a motion to approve Subnational sub Global Climate Leadership Memorandum of Understanding under 2MOU. Um, that item was pulled by the uh, audience. Uh, Mr. Russell Rand, could you please come to the podium? Thank you. I want to speak to the general motion idea between this and the Southeast Florida Climate Change Action Plan, which talks about leadership, uh, infrastructure, water qualities, et cetera, which is costing $121,000 plus dollars and all. Um, along those lines, I looked at a timeline on August 23rd. I sent you a, a satellite image, a, a link. The East Atlantic water vapor, welcome to the heart of the Cape Verde season. Harvey's going to put a herd on Texas. The sequence coming off Africa, Irma, is large, wet, and already rotating. On the 25th re-catastrophic event, Harvey, the destruction will be mind-blowing. History is in the making. On the 30th, go Canes. What has me very all caps concerned is watching Irma come off the African coast. Models take it into our vicinity as a strong, all caps, well-organized system. Then I remind you about shooting messengers and ignoring messages. Then it was a category five and then a strike. I gave you a 16-day in advance warning of Irma. Last year, I gave you a nine-day in advance warming, warning of Harvey. I'm still doing my job of working for the taxpayers of Broward County. I don't work for you anymore. There's not a snowball's chance in hell that you're going to stop the climate from changing. That's not going to happen. If all emissions stopped right now, it would still warm the planet for the next 50 years. Everything that's space-age technology would have to exist in the entire planet right now to, to stop this. 
Good luck on trying to go back to an ice age. I don't think you're going to do it. I have trouble with you comprehending your own laws and policies and science, real science, not political science, which is bastardized science. Um, you're spending awful lots of money, and uh, you're like living in glass houses throwing stones. If you get leadership awards for just all the good stuff and not the big picture of everything, then you're not transparent. Thank you. Okay, commissioners, back to this dais. I'd have a second. second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed, let the record show that item 12 passes unanimously with those on this dais. The next item pulled from consent agenda was item number 14. That item was pulled by Mr. Ram. Mr. Ram, please return to the podium. Again, you should probably approve the item just to do something. This is for informational purposes only. I find it fascinating you getting a grant to spend $80,000 to study sea level rise in Dania and the economic impacts of it. And note of history, Dania is the oldest city because it's the highest city above the water. And if you stop at Old Griffin Road, right there by the railroad tracks of US-1, you can walk down literally, and it's about 16 or so feet to water level. So you're going to study a city whose main street is the highest level on the Miami Ridge and yet drops off by the High Life Fronton into mangrove swamps and all. So this is a nice $80,000. You could spend $800 million studying it. Studying it. <clears throat> when the uh, Katrina-type storm comes into Broward County, and there may not be a 28-foot storm surge, let's just say a 20-foot storm surge, 22 feet, you're going to have like five feet of water in Dania and virtually 80%, 90% of the county is going to be flooded as it was in the last Category 3 major hurricane in 1949 when there was five feet of water outside this building. So uh, it's interesting and nice that you spend $80,000 for a little pilot study, but uh, this place is going to be destroyed when a Katrina event comes in. The big one that I mentioned in the emails I just read to you, maybe this is the big one, which Irma missed us by that 100 miles and went and screwed up the West Coast terribly. If that happened here and there was two feet of mud in the city streets like there is in Chokoloski that's all baked by the sun and you can't drive on it, then there'll be <clears throat> incredible things changed. So you're, you're only beginning to start. I've been studying it for 62 years since I saw my city underwater. And, and that wasn't from a storm surge. That's yes. upland water. Do you want to speak? So I've been studying all these years. Thank you. Okay. I have Vice Mayor Fur followed by Commissioner Ryan. Just real quick, just a question for Jennifer Arado. Can I ask her to come up for a moment? Thank you, Ms. Hilrado. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. Um, is this going to be building on the study? There was like two, two and a half years ago or three years ago, there was a whole study that had a lot of modeling with the, within the Dania, and I forgot what university was doing that. Is it going to be using that as the basis and this is on top of that? The, um, this particular project actually builds on another grant agreement that had been awarded under the EPA. It was called a DAISIES, but basically it was a decision support tool where we were able to look at modeled impacts of uh, high tide flooding right. and, and other storm-related inundation on properties within the city of Dania Beach. Um, and that helps to identify certain vulnerabilities, but the remaining question is, 
outside of damage losses that are associated with these types of events, what are the economic implications that end up being cascading as you look at the interconnectedness of uh, sectors that are operating within a community and then trying to use information on resilience to help shore up economic integrity under the duress of, of increasing climate impacts. Okay, because that, really, that was a very good modeling mm -hmm. that we had before. So if they're building on that, that's good. And, and, and you might also be referring to what was an MPO uh, analysis funded through the Federal Highways Administration, which Dania Beach Boulevard was identified to be the most vulnerable of all roadways in Broward right. County. In fact, there was discussion of DOT perhaps not even looking at rehabilitating that roadway because it is the most vulnerable of all. And so that particular corridor will be a focus of this particular study. Is it going all the way down? I know, I know the North Beach part is not in Dania, but is it going down? I think the last one went down to Sheridan Street. Is it going down that far? It will not go down that far. We'll oh. be looking at a more centralized corridor um, where the, the scope of work calls for analysis of 20 different representative um, um, establishments within the community as a basis for making some extrapolations, but I don't think it'll head as far south as Sheridan. Okay. And just on another note, I just saw the program for the Compact uh, Summit. Nice job. That looks great. Thank you. So I think it's going to be a, a good summit. We're excited. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Commissioner Ryan. Uh, Dr. Arado, if you'll stay up there for a minute. Um, the, um, the grant is, is small by NOAA standards, $80,000, and then it's just really it looks like it's a pass-through from the state. Um, it, and it speaks to an analysis of a coastal commercial corridor. Is that the East Dania Beach Boulevard corridor? Correct. All right. So although... Um, <clears throat> Commissioner Furr mentioned that it doesn't go as far as down to North Beach. Um, that area is split off from, from Hollywood um, as a separate part of Dania Beach, but it doesn't study any portion of that A1A corridor? No, I don't think it's going to be inclusive of the corridor that's further east. It'll be more along the US-1 and the Dania Beach Boulevard. All right, and it references, uh, basically, it's going to be an analysis of the, the businesses along East Dania Beach Boulevard, interviewing businesses and property owners. So um, with these various studies, what, what type of um, resiliency uh, strategies, I mean, might you extrapolate that you would, you would hope to, to gain insight into? Well, some of the analyses that were previously identified through the Resilient Redesign Workshop that, um, that was focused on this same area included the use of more active management through, say, polders, which would be isolation of basins where we have a difficult time managing water with the regional system. We simply don't have that infrastructure, but we may be able to berm up certain areas and manage water on a more localized basis to provide flood protection. We may be able to elevate roadways. We may be able to look at more active stormwater management altogether. The city's been exploring um, more green infrastructure that um, you know they've kind of struggled with. There could be more in the way of wetland treatment areas and doing more with managing natural areas, providing rehydration with stormwater that we're already challenged with. So those are the types of, um, 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 I think, adaptation strategies that would serve as a basis for improved water management for flood protection in the community. If you've ever been down that roadway, <clears throat> when you get east of uh, Fifth Avenue, you'll notice that you end up on the south side, there's a canal that's adjacent to the roadway. That canal used to go as far west as almost up to US-1. And um, after a hurricane many years ago, it was filled in. So uh, just a little history that it's not just climate change that results in that flooding. There was, after the 26th hurricane, there was water up to the second story 
of the Dania Beach Hotel, which is just a block from US-1. So it's an area, as all of uh, the coastal Broward County is, is subject to the, those, um, Come on, those uh, hurricane catastrophe uh, uh, flooding issues. Thank you. All right, can I get a motion, please? Thank you, Dr. Harado. All those in favor of item number 14, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously with those on the dais. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Okay, the next item on our agenda is the public hearing item. As this is a public hearing item, it is a motion to approve 2017-2022 Broad County Trauma Plan pursuant to Rule 64J-2.009 under the Florida Administrative Code prior to submission to the Florida Department of Health Division of Emergency Preparedness and Community Support Office of Trauma. Uh, at this time, I'm going to open up the um, audience, the public hearing for the audience participation. I have one speaker signed up only on item 31. That's Mr. Rand. Mr. Rand, could you please make your way to the podium? Again, for informational purposes only, I saw Dr. Malik here. Uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, nor did I read the trauma plan, but in reference again to uh, hurricanes where, you know, there's a micro chance that there's a terrorist or uh, somebody at the airport nutcase shooter. But the real problem is storm surge uh, that comes in, and 10,000 people died in Galveston in 1900, and 3,000 people died in the 1928 hurricane south of Lake Okeechobee. Um, in New Orleans, before Katrina had 10,000 body bags on hand, uh, they used just under 2,000 of them. So not having read the trauma plan, though, but I assume it uh, covers a catastrophic event, which based on the 1926 hurricane would be about 15,000 people killed. Uh, and as Commissioner Ryan points out, the water was quite high. Uh, it was total death and destruction here. The, the pictures are, are astounding, uh, unless you had a really strong structure. Uh, just everything was pretty wiped out here and was for decades until World War II uh, resurged the place and all. But I just wanted to comment on the, a large catastrophic loss at a particular time and how to cope with that. Thank you. Okay, commissioners. At this time, that concludes our audience participation. Do I have a second? second? All those in favor of item number 31 signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed? Let the record show that passes unanimously with those on the dais. Okay. At this time, item number 32 is a delegation request by Michael Anderson. Mr. Anderson, could you please come forward? Good morning, Mayor and council uh, commissioners. Um, I'd like to briefly start out with, my name is Michael Anderson, uh, 2751 Northwest 10th Place. Um, I've been denied the opportunity to do PowerPoint presentation. As I mentioned the first time I spoke, uh, this was more than just for the commissioners, but for the general public as well. If the cameraman can pan in, I would appreciate it. These documents you have, and my position on these were the difference between uh, an altered document and a copy. And so each time I go in to get uh, a pull a file, 
they altered the document. This one, you can barely see, um, was altered. This one, as I raised the issue on the blurriness, then there was a, a white a white owl stamp placed over the blur, if the cameraman can pick that up. And this document, or the one I just showed you, is uh, different than the, uh, the original document. Since I'm running out of time, um, the other thing is, um, you can Google this, um, the difference, uh, excuse me, not the difference, but a docket link. And the docket link on what I spoke bef uh, of before circumvented the judicial system. Um, again, you could Google docket link if you don't know what that is. And they attach a, a, some records to a, a, a file that was closed and backdated it from 2017 to 2008. Again, let me reiterate. They attached this docket link to a file in 2017 and backdated it to two, uh, uh, 2008. Um, I had requested, because I, I, I contended this was wire fraud, public corruption, et cetera, everything that I have written on the de uh, uh, delegate request. And here are the emails, I mean one email, when I initially filed uh, the delegation request, I received the email. I have left a voice message for you in reference to the attached delegation request. I would appreciate a return call that we can further discuss your concerns. And again, this makes uh, the administration an interested party in what I'm presenting here today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Anderson, for coming. Uh, the next item on our agenda is item number 33. It is a motion to approve the Broward County Board of County Commissioners 2018 legislative priorities and authorize the staff to make any necessary technical and typographical corrections um, and authorize the staff to make changes based upon further direction by the board. Motion B is the motion to approve the Broward County Board of County Commissioners 2018 State Legislative Program and 2018 State Fundamental Principles, and authorize the staff to make any necessary technical and typographical corrections, and authorize the staff to make changes based upon further direction by the board. Okay. Item number 33, I do have two audience speakers signed up on this. The first speaker that I have is Mr. Rand, followed by Michael Rayner. So could you please come to the podium? Mr. Rand. Thank you. Uh, just to bounce off what Mr. Anderson was saying, I have scores and scores of documents that <laughs> two plus two equals three, and the rule says that two plus two equals five, neither of which is correct. So I'm only standing here because I've been framed. I've been framed. So uh, your, your legislative program, whether it's Republican Tallahassee or Republican Washington, is asking for tens of millions of dollars more money than you're already getting for uh, community uh, trauma plans, legislative uh, things, uh, old people, uh, nursing homes so they don't die, 
uh, you're asking for tens of millions of dollars, and that okay. your document says open government, and I don't think so, and it's ethical government, and I don't think so, and that there be pristine environments and air quality and all of that. Well, that's a lot of hooey to me. So basically, you've built kind of a house of cards on sand here, whether it's the climate change or saving old people from dying or, or get, getting tens of millions of dollars. Taxpayers want to know what you're doing with the money and where it's going and whether you're supporting viable causes or not. And I know from my own personal experience of 60,000 hours working for the county that I see uh, a lot of fraud, waste, and mismanagement left and right that I try to bring to people's attention. And the messenger is always shot and the message is always ignored. Uh, for instance, in the 29 years, there was never a, an emergency management plan meeting. There was never a climate meeting. There was never a sea level global warning. There was never a meeting in 29 years. And the climate change pact is what, eight years old, nine, nine? This is the ninth, going back eight years. So all of a sudden it dawned on people that the climate's changing. <laughs> Again, watch the cartoon, Ice Age. Thank you. Michael Rayner. Good morning, Commissioners. Uh, Michael Rayner. Um, as you know, I serve actually as um, on the Human Rights Board. Actually, thank you, uh, Commissioner Ryan, for that pleasure still. And years before, I served on the um, Broward County HIV Health Services Planning Council. And I just want to thank you for your support um, year after year of a legislative agenda that continues to articulate the issues that many of your advisory boards actually look at and um, include quite often in your fu uh, fundamental principles documents that go both to the state and federal government. I know that um, I think it was about two years ago when Representative Artillas uh, tried to block transgender individuals from using public restrooms. Um, it was great to know that in not only the county's Human Rights Act that things like that are protected, but also in your fundamental principles you articulate civil rights for all individuals, and it gave Mr. Labrador the opportunity to speak in committee and actually fight back against one of his old classmates, uh, John Stemberger, in committee and represent um, the LGBT community on behalf of Broward County in making sure that all people have the um, civil rights to carry about their lives as they should. Um, and I just want to thank you for that opportunity that um, this document allows a lot of your advisory bodies uh, to make recommendations to county administration and the commissioners to help um, us further articulate concerns that we might have as we are charged to um, carry out the uh, different responsibilities and actions and powers that are within uh, the charter and ordinance um, and our advisory board. So I just want to thank you for that time. Thank you. Commissioner Geller? At the point in time that we are planning on adopting this, I would like to speak. Is it that time now? It's that time to consider, okay, to discuss. Thank okay, thank you, Madam Mayor. Um, first, I'd like to thank Mr. Cassini and, the, and that division for all the work they did in putting together this chart. I think uh, it's appropriate for us to be prioritizing. and I have no problem with these, these priorities in this order. I did want to comment, however, that in addition to these top five, I see that Commissioner Bogan and I both listed in our top three the issue of uh, CRAs. And as I think we know, I, I believe that the county attorney has visited with uh, many or all of the commissioners individually. Um, the, there is an issue where we are in litigation with some of the CRAs that have voted to unilaterally 
extend themselves for an additional 30 years or some similar period without permission from the county commission, which initially granted them the authority to create. And I think, I know that it is a priority of the Florida House of Representatives to eliminate CRAs completely. I have not heretofore supported that, but I think that the county does need to at least be able to make sure that the cities that are unilaterally extending them know that while we don't want to eliminate CRAs, if, if we're put in a position of a 30-year unilateral extension that Broward County can use its clout with our Broward County Senators to uh, deal with this issue. Again, I prefer to keep CRAs, not eliminate them, but if we're put in a position where it's either a 30-year extension beyond the existing ones or nothing, at that point I would be supportive of eliminating them completely. Thank you. Commissioner Holness? On, on this issue of CRAs, I uh, concur to a great extent with uh, my colleague. Uh, Thank you. I, I think if you look at the outcomes for many of these CRAs, you'll find them lacking. Uh, they're designed uh, based on the fact that there is slum and blight in communities that have been left behind. Yet, uh, if we look at Broad County, where we have CRAs that affect heavily minority communities, you'll find that after 20, even 30 years, there's been really no change. Uh, maybe you see occasionally a couple of uh, buildings built, but in terms of affecting the lives of the people uh, in those communities where there's ramped, rampant poverty and unemployment, uh, nothing is done to much extent. Uh, and yet these same entities would like to continue practically in perpetuity, uh, which makes no sense to me at all. So I believe that CRAs must be fo fundamentally changed, uh, not just to afford capital for wealthy investors looking to build, uh, put uh, structures up uh, on the periphery of these neighborhoods, but to actually go in and work to empower the people that live in these communities who for years pay from their meager uh, income into these CRA funds, yet not much consideration is given to these folks. You know, people who've lived in these neighborhoods for 30, 40 years, seniors who are retired on low income, 10, 12, 15,000 annually, the kids, grandkids are there, uh, yet instead of using some of those funds to improve these properties that they live in or their lives, it's given to wealthy folks who oftentimes pay no regards for ensuring that people from within these communities are hired when these projects are being built or after these pro projects are built that they are employed or participating in the very money that they paid in and are paying into the system. So I have a real serious issues with the way CRAs have been run over time. I think they have to be fundamental change. However, there, there's a need to do something within these communities. I don't think that the way CRAs have functioned have been that. 
uh, you, you can talk about the success of the beach, Sierra, and Fort Laurel, and, and Hollywood. Well, those areas weren't that much blighted in the first place. It wasn't that, that many low-income folks, but yet we have these CRAs robbing our treasurer, pretty much, in my mind. Uh, because when you take these funds that we as a county are contributing, when the Children's Service Council is contributing these funds uh, to these wealthy folks, uh, you're taking it from where the greatest needs exist, uh, within low-income census tracts and zip codes that really desperately need for us to go in and do something to revamp them. So I am I'm in support of doing something to empower the folks in these communities, and, and, and there has to be some structural change. I think we are somewhat heading in a good direction with what we're doing with our broad redevelopment program. I think that still needs a tremendous amount of, of tweaking uh, to adjust, to be more responsive, and, and, and to give more empowerment to the people that are within these communities. Commissioners? Thank you, Commissioner Holness. In an effort to streamline this process, um, because we're going to be here all day talking on this item if we continue this, this um, form of addressing it, we really need to stick to trying to do the priorities and trying to get through them. So I'm going to, I have a cue. Um, I have Commissioner Bogan followed by Commissioner Ryan and then followed by Commissioner Rich. But <clears throat> I just want you to be aware that there's a, there's a number of categories here that have been prioritized. And so our focus right now was supposed to be on narrowing down what categories we're going to send our lobbyists to prioritize. As you recall, we received a list of 16 items yesterday, or well, actually November the 7th, my birthday. You received a list of 16 items. So you were supposed to prioritize five from the 16 items, and that's what we're discussing right now. So um, Commissioner Geller, as I understand it from this sheet, your number one item is affordable housing. I'm fine with the top five in the order that they're listed. In the top five, perfect, thank you. Okay, Commissioner, um, Commissioner um, Bogan. Yeah, I, I am just real quick, a comment from Commissioner Geller. Um, Commissioner Holness, you say it so eloquently, I agree with you 100% regarding the CRA issue. Um, more bluntly, um, to, as you know, um, the Northwest Pompano CRA has scammed the people of Northwest Pompano. They have really wasted nearly $80 million and done very little uh, for what we call slum and blight. It's just a shame. It's a disgrace. And... Um, and we're uh, taking them on, as, as Commissioner Geller, we're taking them on in court when they decide that they think they can unilaterally extend themselves. So we're fighting the fight. But um, I just wanted to make sure, you, you said on one hand, you, 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 wanted, you noticed the end of the CRA, that was one of my priorities, but then I think you said you wanted to keep them on, I, I didn't understand your position. Madam Mayor, may I, third, yes. yeah, I'm asking a question. Not as one of the top five. We've ranked the top five. That's what we're doing today. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that the cities are aware that this is still an issue we're going to be looking at if they Got don't it. become more reasonable. And, and my comments are solely directed to what I'm aware of is the Northwest Pompano CRA. I'm not familiar with the others. Thank you. Okay. Um, Commissioner Ryan followed by Commissioner Rich. Sounds like we have a consensus on the 
the rankings of the top five, and I appreciate the efforts of uh, Mr. Cassini in, um, in polling the members and coming up with this matrix. Uh, I wanted to comment on affordable housing very briefly and also um, one passing comment on the CRAs, although I didn't put that in my top five, I think that Commissioner Holness is, is spot on that um, we have two types of CRAs. You have a TIF CRA, which is tax increment financing, and a TIFless CRA, which does not impose uh, or, or hold any of the uh, ad valorem taxation in the CRA area exclusively for the CRA. Uh, Broward County has for some time with the Broward Redevelopment Program has been providing funding for economic development and removal of slum and blight in the areas that are called the TIFLIS CRAs. Um, as these CRAs mature out, uh, more funding will be available for the Broward Redevelopment Program. So I, I think the message to the Florida Senate, because this is an issue that's pushed by uh, Speaker Corcoran, uh, there was a concern, I believe, in the, in the Florida Senate, and in particular, the Democratic members in the Florida Senate, that um, there was a need, there's a lot of pockets of slum and blight, and, and they need to be remediated. The question is whether uh, many of these CRAs are doing it in the most efficient and the effective manner. Um, so part of the message, I think, when we go up to Tallahassee, and this, this issue will be raised, is not to, to go too far to eliminate the existing TIF CRAs, but to hold the line on unilateral extensions of the time frame for the TIF CRAs. So uh, that, I think, is something that we could accomplish both in the House and the Senate, along with a message to those that are concerned that um, there is a backstop, at least in Broward <coughs> County, for economic development in truly slum and blighted area, as Commissioner Holness had mentioned, and I know what CRA is talking about, 40, 50, 60 million dollars was accumulated, and then around the perimeter of the CRA, there were some improvements, some commercial improvements, but when you get really into the areas and of that particular CRA in the western part of it, nothing's been done for, for 20 years, and those neighborhoods have not changed one bit for that, that CRA. So uh, hopefully we can, we can correct that. With regard to the affordable housing, which is really high with, on everybody's list, um, I hope that we can partner up with uh, the business community on this issue, because really what we're saying is, there is a um, Sadowski Trust Fund that collects uh, state documentary stamp tax each year. And it is a trust fund. You'd like to hold it in the trust fund. But the money gets taken out each year and spent for um, other priorities of the legislature. Uh, this affordable housing is, is more than just uh, providing housing for, for persons in need. It's the whole idea about attracting new businesses, retaining businesses in the South Florida area. So... I believe not only could you have the Association of Counties be in support of affordable housing, the League of Cities, the, the Florida Association of Realtors, uh, I, I don't think it's, it's too much to ask Associated Industries, the Florida Chamber of Commerce, and all of the business entities that recognize the connection between housing and good-paying jobs throughout Florida. Uh, and with the affordable housing issue becoming more acute in the I-4 corridor, I think we'll have more partners uh, to lobby on that. So let's hope that we can get some change on protecting the Sadowski trust funds during this session. Thank you. Commissioner Rich to close. Thank you. Well, it's actually perfect for me to close with this, although I do have one comment also on our uh, commission values and goals. But we are already doing uh, 
what you were talking about, Commissioner Ryan. Uh, the business community is actively involved in this state in affordable housing now. Uh, in our own community, we have the chamber, the workshop, the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance, all of them involved with us on uh, affordable housing issues and actually uh, committed to uh, working on ensuring that there's full funding of the Sadowski Affordable Housing Trust Fund. The, um, throughout the whole state, uh, I serve on this statewide task force uh, work group, which the last meeting is November 29th in, in Tallahassee to make our recommendations. I assure you that the top recommendation is going to be full funding of Sadowski. And that comes from all the people you mentioned, the business groups, the realtors, the developers, everybody involved with affordable uh, housing. And um, I think that um, there, there's, there's going to be a tremendous push and people are going to realize that people from, that 67 counties have a problem, all to varying degrees. United Way uh, in, their, uh, in, in their Alice report shows that. So we have a, I think, a much larger commitment than we've ever had before that goes way beyond the Florida counties, this League of Cities, but goes out into the, you know, into the business arena. Um, and uh, it's, um, for those that don't know, Broward County since 2010 has lost $88 million, I've said that before, in doc stamps that went into the trust fund that never came back to us. So uh, we are a prime example of being a donor county, and we have to change, we have to change that. So I'm, you know, uh, of course, supporting that as being the number one. The one thing I would say is I am kind of disappointed that, w that um, I don't quite, quite agree with the five that we have because the behavioral health substance abuse with the opioid crisis is so dramatic and so huge. And we're, we're, we're the second county, basically, to Palm Beach and, as far as impact. So uh, I'm, I, I feel like that really should be one of our top priorities. The last thing I want to say is that I know I had just come on the board. We had our retreat, and we have our commission values and goals. So under, under those goals, it says, and I'm not sure if we're going ahead and voting on those today along with these priorities, yes. right? Okay. Yes. So I have a serious problem with number four, which is the, 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 um, uh, the value of cooperatively delivering an, an efficient and accessible regional intermodal transportation network. And the second bullet down says implement the Wave Streetcar Project. And I, I do not agree with that. And uh, I know it's in, it's in here, but it's very distressing to me now that that is I can see the rest of that sentence being a, a goal. Seek local, state, federal funding and public support for rail projects that connect to existing rail corridors, balancing ridership with community redevelopment demands, that's all fine. But to, to now, knowing what we know as far as the amount that that project could, you know, could cost us and the impact it could have on our budget in terms of maintenance and operation, I just absolutely do not, I, I just don't support that as being a goal. So I just want to put that out there. I'm going to vote for this, but you know, with, with not, right. not being happy that this that this is in here, that we're actually including that in what we're voting on. So initially, when we included that, you know, that was we didn't have that information, and I and we talked about this last time, and we said that we could remove that from we could remove that portion from the 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 sentence. But remember, what was brought back was that there was a possibility that they could revamp that project and that it could be doable or viable. So. Um, if you want to remove that, I really wouldn't have a problem removing that. I could, I could support that. I know Commissioner well, Udine had brought I, that up as well. So, um, 
Commissioners, um, when we get ready, we're, I'm going to do motion um, A first, which is our legislative priorities. So I'll bifurcate them, and so that way that we can amend the um, okay. the, the yeah. commission priorities on B to exclude that. And if you want to be the maker of that motion, I would like to. Thank you. And then I could have Commissioner Udine second that motion. Correct. Correct. Okay. So at this time. On item number 33A, can I please have a motion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record. Commissioner Lamarca, are you on the phone still? I am here. Okay. Um, are, you in, are you a yay or a nay on, on item 33A, uh, proving the ranked priorities? Yay. Yay. Okay. So we've got nine. All right, so that's 9-0. Now um, we're going to go to motion B, which is motion to approve the commissioner's um, priorities of fundamental principles. I have an amended motion by Commissioner Rich, seconded by Commissioner Udine. I want to add in to strike num bullet, bullets one and two of subsection four. Okay. okay. Strike bullets one and two of subsection four. And those, uh, um, I don't have it in front of me right now. Commissioner Udine, elaborate. The same thing that I said last time. I may get there, but I'm not, as a fundamental principle, fundamentally supporting the penny tax yet until I see all the information and the, and the WAVE project, as I mentioned at the last meeting. So right now, I know I have consensus on the WAVE project to strike that, that portion from there. I know we don't have consensus on the penny tax. Okay. Second. Okay, so give me one second because I don't no, think you have. I gotta separate it. So the first amendment was to strike the wave from the fundamental principles. All in favor of that um, amendment, signify by saying aye. I wish to speak to that motion. Yes. Uh, with regard to the wave, the all the bids were rejected. Uh, that component was capital cost, none of which was going to be undertaken by the county. It was to be paid by the city of Fort Lauderdale, Florida Department of Transportation, and the Fort Lauderdale uh, downtown development area. Um, this board has already voted, number one, to commit itself to the operational expense to operate the wave, and secondly, um, has entered into uh, an agreement ordering certain cabs that would be part of the wave system. I know that that request has been put on hold, and, and I'm not going to vote against it, but I just want to comment that uh, these, these bids on the capital expense are going back out. FDOT is going to rewrite the bid specs, and it's going to come back for uh, another analysis. Uh, from what I heard, some of the vendors were uncertain as to what their uh, obligations were, and um, it, we will revisit that issue, but um, I'm not going to object to the motion. Okay, Commissioner Holness, followed by yes. Commissioner Bolton. And, and, and I believe that if it's restructured, realigned, mm -hmm. uh, we might get there. But as it is right now, I don't think we're there. Right. And, and, and hence, I don't think we're closing the door. We're just saying at this point in time, right. we can support what's there. Right. That's what my vote is. Right, exactly. Okay. Um, Commissioner Bogan. Yeah, my understanding with respect to the WAVE project that the county's paying for nothing. Is that or their or their they, they, their proposal initially was that they would fund it completely with different funds? We are and paying for certain um, right. safety 
Oh, improvements. Ms. Henry? Yes, I just wanted to clarify. Um, the, largely, the project is funded by partners, um, the feds, the state, and um, the DDA in the city of Fort Lauderdale, but there were some capital upgrades that we requested um, as part of the project that we did make a contribution to, to support. Of how much? Um, I'm, 10 million? Uh, let me let me get clarify and get that Seven number nine. for you. But is, is it wait? Excuse yeah. me, Commissioner Geller. Is, my understanding though is when they came to the county, they were going to fund everything, uh, and then we decided that we wanted to add some improvements. Otherwise, if we didn't do that, they would be funding everything. Is that correct? That well, so he he says initially that's correct. What um, Senator Geller is clarifying is that when we were doing the project to make sure that the project continues to move, that um, the, the county agreed to do the SIB loan to make sure that there is no delay in the, in the process. There are certain thresholds um, within the, the movement of the project whereby we may have some other uh, financial obligations, but it's capped and limited. Uh, the board has to agree before they move forward on it. And I'm okay. happy to bring back that, that analysis for you. Thank you. Okay, so at this time, um, I have Vice Mayor Furr in queue. Thank you. Um, today, we need, to, we need to pass the legislative priorities. That part we need to do. We did. For, and we've already done that. This part that we're, that we're debating, this is something we could actually be, we don't have to pass this necessarily today. Because it sounds like, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want us to be sending mis, mixed messages when, when we're, in the, we're in the middle of trying to determine what to do with the penny tax and, and waves. So my, my suggestion is we defer this part of it. We don't have to pass this right now, as far as I can tell. The other part we needed to, this part I don't think we have to. So my, my, I would like to make a motion to defer this. We already have a motion on the okay. floor. So uh, a deferral motion will um, supersede everything else. So he's, what he's saying is that because he feels like we're going to be sending mixed messages by bifurcating this and taking out portions of it, he'd just rather defer it altogether. Right now I've just heard three seconds to his motion for deferral. So that's going to trump all other motions. Okay? So at this time, I had a motion to defer and I had a second. All those in favor of deferring motion to approve item B signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Aye. Opposed. I'm sorry? No. I'm opposed. Okay, just say no. 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 And it's one, two, and then Commissioner Lamarco, are you on the phone? I'm fine with putting it off. He's fine for deferral? You heard that? Okay. That was hard to hear. Yes, ma'am. Okay, perfect. Mayor, okay, so I have... Yes, if I might, um, I, I just wanted to clarify. I know that this is deferred. When it comes back, um, there were some additions that I just wanted to clarify that they will be added to the program. They're not in our top five, but they will be added to the program. And those were um, uh, no, related. The, that, that wasn't deferred. The additions, no, 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 this, this, item A? No, I'm on, item A is fine. It's okay. item B. There were some additions to the, the commission priorities. Child welfare, elder care, core reef disease. Uh, we were asked to pull those up. Um, also, 
Okay, um, but that's the that's a bit still that's in B. A. That's in B. The priorities, the legislative priorities was A. So that child welfare thing fell under A, not B. It's the legislative program. program. And, and if we Sorry. can maybe ask um, for you to consider, instead of deferring the entire legislative program, maybe the fundamental principles might be is where the concern is? That's all we, well, okay. So all we wanted to defer was the fundamental principles. Okay. Everything else okay. we were approving. Okay. We were trying to approve that today. Okay. And so. then for clarification, what um, Ms. Henry was talking about was those five additional areas if they would be added to the legislative program, if you guys were okay So then we're going to have to have... reconsider the vote by which we, which can we, we took to defer to bifurcate because it's actually two motions. It says... Right. I'm trying to do that, Ms. Um, Senator, uh, Senator Geller. I'm trying to do that. Okay. Uh, okay. Commissioner, Senator, whatever you prefer to be called, I'm, I'm trying to fix it. Um, I, right now... We had a motion to defer on the fundamental principles. Can we please have a motion to reconsider item B altogether? So we're going to reconsider item B altogether. Just stop. We're going to do a motion to reconsider. Just second it. Okay. All those in favor of reconsidering motion B signify by saying aye. Aye. Okay. All those opposed? Okay, now I'm going to bifurcate, and I'm going to take the first one, which is the co county commissioners, Commissioner Geller. I am trying, for the sake of the audience, to get it straight, please. The Broward County Board of County Commissioners 2018 State Legislative Program. Can I have a motion and a second on that? Okay, all those in favor of that signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously. Now I'm going to take up the deferral on the state on the um, state fundamental principles and authorize staff to make necessary technical and typographical changes. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All those opposed, let the record show that that portion of B was deferred. Yes. Okay. And and there's still two. Opposing the deferral. Yeah. That's Commissioner Udine and Commissioner Rich. And Commissioner Lamarck on the phone was vote, voting yes for the deferral. Okay, so that disposes of that item. Yes. Well, at this time, we have a time certain item on item number 35. It was supposed to be at 1130. It's a motion to direct the Office of the County Attorney to draft an ordinance amending section 21-6 of the Broward County Code of Ordinances. Expanding the current ordinance to create Broward County Adult Civil Citation Program that includes other nonviolent misdemeanors that may be cited as violations of the code and providing a civil penalty for such violations. The sponsor of this item is Commissioner Holness. Commissioner Holness, would you like to open? Yes, thanks. I'll open and I'll be brief and come back because I have a large number of folks in the audience uh, that are here supporting this, uh, including Chief Judge uh, Tudor. Uh, who I met with yesterday and had a great conversation. Uh, he's working for working towards address, addressing this item in an administrative way. Uh, our clerk of the courts, Brenda Foreman, is here also. We are working with her to ensure we're able to put this in place. I met with uh, Sheriff Israel. Uh, he's supportive on on board. Uh, State Attorney uh, Satz, uh, public defender. Uh, Finkelstein is here, uh, 
and uh, we met with all the city commissioners in Fort Lauderdale, uh, except for one, and, and want to uh, thank uh, especially uh, Commissioner Dean Trentatlas for his uh, real strong support uh, towards us putting this. Uh, the chief of police from Fort Lauderdale has been engaged and are supportive. Uh, what we're working here to do is expand our civil citation program uh, that we have now for cannabis uh, to ensure that we don't continue to put low-income people in jail and, and, and prison as much as we do. Uh, I'll come back and deal with that a little bit, uh, Mayor, but since I know that some of our uh, guests have been here for a while and uh, you know, they have... Uh, strong schedule and, and busy schedules, I'll go ahead and let them go ahead and speak and address the issue and then uh, come back. I, I think would love if uh, uh, Chief Judge Tudor uh, would be the lead on this. Uh. Okay, thank you. Okay, so I have speakers signed up. I have Chief Judge Jack Tudor, um, Clerk of Courts Brenda Foreman, followed by um, Judge Howard Finkelstein, followed by Maria Sh Schneider. Um, yeah, but there's two people on the form. You need to each fill out a form. Then Sarah Nell Murphy and then David Sharp. So could Maria Schneider and Sarah Nell Murphy go to the um, minutes secretary area and fill out another form? There's two people on one form. Okay, I'm ready. I called. Chief Judge Tudor, could you please come forward? I'm not sure. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Uh, I did speak with Judge, uh, with Judge uh, Commissioner Holnish yesterday. I've elevated him on this bill. Uh, some of you on the commission know I've been working the last couple of months uh, to try to reduce the jail cap uh, in this county with the variety of things that we're going to institute over the next uh, 12 to 14 months. So I support this ordinance. I think there's some logistics that, I, that he knows, commissioner knows, need to be worked out as far as how this is going to be communicated to the police officers who are issuing these citations. The rules of criminal procedure now permit uh, police officers to issue notices to appear in first degree and second degree misdemeanors as it is. This program diverts them away from the criminal justice system and offers alternatives. I don't know all of the specifics because I only was able to read the ordinance yesterday. Anything that diverts folks away from the criminal justice system that reduces our jail population that is successful, I am completely in favor of. So I support this ordinance and I uh, wish you the best with it, Commissioner. I think there are, as I said, some logistics that have to be worked out with, uh, with the uh, legalities uh, as far as the contacts and the tie together with the clerk system, NCIC, which permits the police officer to find out if this person had a uh, certain enumerated uh, criminal history. Uh, but I uh, support the ordinance, and if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them now or at any other time. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is the Clerk of the Courts, Brenda D. Foreman, followed by Howard Finkelstein. Hmm? Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Commissioner Holness, for reaching out to me in reference to this program. The Broward County Clerk of Court, we do and will support this program. We know that it's very important uh, for this program to move forward with all stakeholders uh, that are involved. 
I just wanted to let you know that my office can be a centralized location for the information needed by law enforcement. With the joint efforts of law enforcement, the County Human Service Department, my office, and the judicial system, the program expansion should benefit the Broward County Community Service. So if there's anything else that we can do to help move this along, call me, let me know. We can set it up again to move forward into, I guess, Plan B since we hurdled the Plan A. So just wanted to let you know we do support the program. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is Public Defender's Office, Mr. Howard Finkelstein. Please come forward. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. First of all, Commissioner, thank you for introducing this bill. Most of you know in the bill the reasons for why this should be passed, but I want to quickly frame this for you and why this is an imperative and it must be done. For the past 60 years in Broward County, we have had an institutionalized racist justice system. It has been proven empirically. The Sarasota Herald Tribune did a study and showed that African Americans are not only arrested at percentages that are completely dramatically inconsistent with white people, but their sentences are also far more harsh. My office, through the help of Fort Lauderdale police officers who retired, were able to prove that in Broward County, if you are black and you walk, you ride your bike, or you drive your car, you will be stopped by law enforcement. So what does this have to do with the bill you have? We have created a Jim Crow criminal justice system where when you walk into the courtrooms in Broward County, almost every single person in that courtroom that's handcuffed is black. Now there's a reason for it. When you put all of your law enforcement officials in poor black communities, don't be surprised that the people that get arrested are poor and black. My point being is law enforcement is not going to change their presence in communities of color that have poverty issues. This bill will allow law enforcement to continue doing what they're doing, but at the same time, not inflict the damage that has been done to the African-American community in Broward County for the past four decades. So if somebody is acting in a way that law enforcement doesn't think they should be acting, it gives them an opportunity to stop the behavior, to cite the behavior, to fine or remedy the behavior, without branding that young person for the rest of their life. Those misdemeanor arrests lead to the inability to get scholarships, to get grants, to get into college. It leads to the inability to become a pillar of our community, and what happens is the poverty cycle is passed to the next generation. We owe this to poor communities of color to start taking steps to remedy the harm that we have inflicted for the past four decades. Thank you for listening to me, and have a great day. Thank you. Mr. David Scharf from BSO, you're next in queue. Monica. They didn't give it to me, I just wrote it. Okay. Good morning. Thanks for allowing me to follow up, uh, Mr. Finkelstein. Um, we, uh, we at the Sheriff's Office do support uh, the civil citation right, okay. program for adults, expanding it um, from what we have uh, for the juveniles. And Ms. Foreman 
her, her comments were very important to this. We need to make sure that officers, not only at BSO but throughout the county, are issuing civil citations to appropriate people. So if they're willing to take on that, that task as a clearinghouse for this, uh, it makes it even better. So we are in support of it. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is uh, Maria Schneider from the State Attorney's Office. I'm here on behalf of Michael Satz, the elected official, as you all know. Uh, Mr. Satz is unable to be here today, so he asked myself and Sarah, Mel, uh, Sarah Nell Murphy, my colleague, to come and give the commission our position on this issue. And Mr. Satz believes that having a civil citation program for nonviolent misdemeanor offenders provides a process by which we can ensure accountability while avoiding some of the negative consequences that go along with such convictions. So our office is wholly in support of the program. As long as it's a well thought out program, um, the organization and the actual uh, offenses that would qualify are a very important issue that we believe needs to be addressed. We're very much in, uh, you know, support of nonviolent misdemeanors, particularly the possession of cannabis. However, driving under the influence of either alcohol or drugs, we do not believe belongs in the program, as well as violent, violent offenses, particularly domestic violence batteries. We know that those carry um, very serious repercussions at times, even though they are considered to be lower-level offenses. Um, so having the program, we are completely in support of. We hope that it will be a well-thought-out and well-organized program, and we want to uh, let you all know that we will be in support and willing to work as hard as it takes to make sure that it is a successful program that is applied countywide, which is something that's really important, because as we know, the current program is not being applied Countywide, and it is not fair that people in some jurisdictions have access to a civil citation and in others they do not. Um, so, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to you and provide our input. And um, we look forward to working to make this a, an appropriate and very successful program that ensures ac accountability but still provides people with the opportunity to avoid the negative consequences that we know um, a conviction, even for a misdemeanor offense, can have. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Ms. Sarah Nell Murphy. Good morning. Good morning. I will just reiterate um, Maria's sentiments, but I'm the chief of our county court now, so these misdemeanors are my wheelhouse, so to speak. That's my current assignment with the state attorney's office. Um, and I just would like to say we are we're very much in support of the program. We're very much looking forward to uh, a more collaborative work piece with all interested parties in that some of the difficulties um, that come about, I think, can be avoided. For example, one of the primary concerns for this to be utilized in a fair and equal manner is a proper database for collection. Um, what Ms. Schneider spoke to as far as what's happening now with the cannabis program is that the sheriff's office is your arm that is using those. Um, I think the last statistic that I saw was 206 had been issued in the county. Um, a heavy portion of those have been issued in the Weston area. Um, I know that the, at last meeting when we were discussing this issue, the police chiefs were supportive of this issue. However, it's the data collection that will give you success and not only that, it will give you statistics to demonstrate that success. If you're supposed to receive a civil citation for a first violation and you're in the city of Sunrise, 
um, that Sunrise police officer would need to be able to look and see the information to share between BSO and all our other municipalities. So that's just one of the issues that um, we are happy as stakeholders in this to hope facilitate uh, a smooth program and a successful program. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Well, commissioners, that concludes our audience participation on this item. Back uh, to this dais. I do have a queue. If, if, if I may continue, and, and thank you well, uh, for, for uh, hearing, and, and thanks for the support for all of uh, our stakeholders that are here. Uh, my first effort to really get to where we are is to meet with the stakeholders. Uh, we spent over a year now working towards this. In fact, what came to my attention first was uh, Attorney McLaren's bringing to me the fact that in Miami-Dade County, there's a program that exists to keep low-income people out of being locked up for driving a suspended driver's license. Uh, and we end up, because uh, through the process, I realized there's a lot of low-income people that are in our jails for petty theft. Judge Tudor t pointed out that someone could go to a, a Walmart and steal $18 worth of stuff, shoplift, $18, would be caught give back the goods to Walmart, but yet the police officer would probably spend three hours booking that person downtown, uh, and then the person get locked up and you have a bond of 500 to 2,000 cash bond. They can't pay because they couldn't afford it in the first place. So they stay there and we pay for them $140 a night to house them. And as you know, uh, colleagues, we're spending about $230 million annually for our jail system. That is, that is really not sustainable. You look at our civil citation for juveniles. We have a 94% success rate. We have saved over $14 million in taxpayers' dollars as a result of that. Because it's not that someone doesn't get to account for what they do. They, they are held accountable. Uh, they pay a price, but not one that end up costing us, society, more. Okay. Because if we, if we don't give them a chance... What happens is they get deeper in the system because now they're out of a job, their children has to be taken care of, where those kids are going to end up in a welfare system, costing us a lot more money. So this, to me, is very practical. It's very prudent. And in terms of ensuring that the data is there, that is why we went and got the clerk of the courts involved, because she would then be the repository for these data that will allow for access by the police officer to be able to, to do this. When I met with Fort Lauderdale, their objection to the cannabis was that they didn't have a searchable database or a place where they can reach out to find out. Now we do this with a database that law enforcement officers can go in and check to see what's there. And, and I think holistically, it's gonna benefit our community tremendously and empower people to be able not to be branded at a young age. And by the way, most civil citations are issued to young people okay. under 30 years old. Thank you, Commissioner Holness. I have a queue of six. So, um, Am I required to speak? No, you are not. Um, Commissioner Ryan, followed by Commissioner Lamarca, followed by Eudine, followed by Rich, followed by Bogan. If I could have Chief Judge Tudor come up to the podium, please. You can would you would you really allow everybody that, two minutes? Would you allow them that much time? Yeah, that's that's an under amount of time for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the things that that we want to ensure 
um, in the civil citation program is that there are some consequences for actions that people take. Um, you know, frequently you have persons with mental illnesses or substance abuse problems, and they're out doing the, the loitering and the trespass and, and petty theft offenses. Um, under this program, this would be similar to the um, civil citation for possession of less than, than 20 grams of marijuana. In other words, you get up to three opportunities to go into some type of a di diversionary program and avoid arrest. Is that as you understand it? Yeah, Commissioner, that's the way so, you were. So yes, uh, the, the, what we envision at this point in time, and it will be brought back to us to finalize, but here's what we envision at this point in time, that this person would be given the opportunity. And part of what we have included in, in, in the operational side of it is that they would come into the county and, and there would be an assessment done to see where they are, to see where we, where we send them to. There also will be built-in restitution uh, where, where applicable and possible for them to... So they'll be held accountable. They're going to be uh, admitting to doing wrong, pretty much, uh, if, they, if they were to go through this program. If they choose not to do that, then there's another pathway. But this will hold them accountable for their actions. They'll, they will uh, have to address it, and, and they're, they're, they're not getting off scot-free. They'll pay a price. So, so the key component uh, of the consequences that they're held accountable is that, in fact, you have to answer to the offense. Uh, you have to go before some person and have uh, an assessment on mental health and, and substance abuse issues. Uh, and then many of these folks will be diverted into human services. So we'll look at the fiscal impact when, that's, when this comes back. Um, but... It's my understanding that frequently, I mean, this is a good tool, especially for law enforcement on the street, because frequently they've got to make this decision. Are you going to issue an NTA or actually do an arrest? Or if somebody is loitering and perhaps they're in traffic or something like that, you know, frequently a law enforcement officer will just say, you know, can I control this person long enough that I can have fire rescue pick them up and they can take them to the hospital and have them evaluated? We don't have to go through it. So this seems like another tool that may assist law enforcement. I, and I know you have a lot of interaction with law enforcement testifying in your courtrooms. Uh, what's your sense on that? Well, it's, uh, it's funny because when he came to see me yesterday, I had a meeting already set up tomorrow with the chiefs of police to try to reemphasize issuing notices to appear in certain enumerated first and second degree misdemeanors in lieu of taking people to jail and arresting them. So I already had that conversation. I had a meeting this morning with Henderson, Henderson Mental Health the treatment program, I can't remember the name of it, someone here is going to tell me the name of it, but where the police officer can take people who are walking in the street and have mental health issues in lieu of the jail to the behavioral treatment center where they can be assessed and services offered because we just can't continue in this county to take everybody to the county jail and assume that the sheriff and everybody has uh, services that we can offer these people. This program is much like the drug court program where we divert people away, although that's a court-based program. This is a non-court court-based program where we try to divert people out of the criminal justice system. Now, the one thing that I will say, Commissioner, that we did, that did come up after this, that a couple of the judges pointed out to me is there are certain enumerated petty theft offenses that if you accumulate a certain number of them, then your uh, p potential next crime is upgraded. And because this is a diversionary program, it's not part of an NCIC record, it's not part of the criminal justice system, so to speak, I think those things will have to be 
uh, tempered and contemplated. But I just say in general to all of you, we have to try something different in this county. We have to get away from just incarcerating and money bonding people. And then those persons, as he says, many of them are poor, are going to eventually, 30 days after we house them for $140 a day, they're going to come forward and say, I give up. I'll plead guilty to whatever you want just to get out. And then they lose their driver's license and we end up in this cycle that we're in. So my effort is to try to see what we can do about improving that commission. Thank you. Our next speaker is Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you, Mayor. Um, this, this is uh, something that is, has, uh, I would say, without, without my intentions, has become near and dear to my heart. Um, I've spent the last seven years on an uh, advisory board that I'm not sure all the commissioners know exists, but it's called the Public Safety Coordinating Council. And its main, main role was dealing with the, uh, the federal lawsuit on the overpopulation of our jail, which is, which is not an issue anymore, and that lawsuit has been, has been, uh, removed, has been removed, or uh, I know there's a legal term for it, the judge will fix that for me, but, but ultimately we, we're, we're there talking about who's in jail and what they're there for and how we deal with the jail counts, and, and not because we have to because of law, but because we want to now. And, and one of the things that I would say is having sat on that, that uh, committee for seven years uh, that uh, Dr. Mack has been uh, the centerpiece of that. But uh, I have to say that uh, Judge Tudor, much like when he sat in our meeting about courthouse security, uh, was reserved until uh, he decided to let us know what was on his mind. And, and I have not heard it put so uh, favorably and succinctly that, that makes so much sense to me, uh, but also with his, with his passion. I mean, look, there are examples of people that go to go to uh, get arrested and go to jail because they had thirty-five dollars worth of groceries in their in their purse or in their in their pocket from uh, from Walmart, but they were caught and the, the 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 product never left the store. Admittedly, there is wrongdoing, but that person now you have a person who couldn't afford to feed their family or was obviously stealing groceries for a reason, uh, who is now in jail. How are they going to pay? Uh, how are they going to get out of jail? How are they going to pay their bail? So they're going to be in jail at $140 a day, and it's going to cost the taxpayers uh, infinite amounts of money for many, many cases like this. Now, I, I, I do take one exception, and that is that, that we look at the uh, first and second degree misdemeanor and look at some of these, as uh, Maria Schneider was very, uh, was, was very detailed and agree very much with what she had said, that we don't want to be in a situation where we're, de we're determining uh, what type of battery and that type of thing, because I think then it's then it's somewhat subjective, not just to an officer, but also to uh, any uh, any observers, that type of thing. So I want to make sure that we're not, you know, that we truly are dealing with uh, folks who aren't going to cause any harm to anyone else, uh, and and don't have a record for any, anything like that. <clears throat> the the um, the other other issue, obviously, with the with the, with the cost of of uh, getting people out of jail or the cost savings um it, it, it's a cost issue but it's also a human issue and i think I, I think i illustrated both of those in that in that case of somebody trying to feed their family but at the same time you know we're not doing them any good we're not doing the, the taxpayers or, or our county any good um i would i would close with this i'm very supportive of the program but i would yeah i i normally wouldn't <clears throat> normally wouldn't weigh in uh, on a political topic, uh, but our public defender, who I think eloquently made his case, and while I, while I don't know that I uh, agree with every single detail uh, 100%, uh, 
I'm very supportive of what he said, uh, but I would, I would say we're, we're in a county that we're complaining about these types of situations where one demographic of our community is being locked up more than another. You know, it, I got, guys, I, have to I just have to mention the fact that we're, we're in a ma massively uh, majority Democrat county with uh, every, just about every elected official being there. And I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody on the stage right now. But my point is, if these are issues that are going on, how are they going on in, in, in such a progressive county with so many elected Democrats in Broward County? Because he brought the word Jim Crow up, and it, that to me, to me, that is a, excuse me, I excuse me. I can't, all I can hear is background noise, so I can't hear what anybody said, but my, my point is. Well, we're we're well, losing you, Commissioner Lamarca. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I, I think you were. I think I was crystal clear as I got to that part, Commissioner Ryan. But, but my, my point is, you know, let's let's look at let's look at what's going on. And I'm not trying to point a finger. I'm just trying to say, look, if the majority of folks are, are doing something the wrong way, let's put this in place. But then let's hold everyone accountable. And, and let's be honest with ourselves. If if uh, if this is the way we're going to move forward, then we should, you know, we should we should have those same principles as we're treating people. So um, I'm supportive of it, and I appreciate the ju uh, Chief Judge. The public defender's office and the state attorney's office, as well as the clerk's office, being here because it's important that this all be done in in one uh, in one circle, so everyone can work in the same uh, the same process. Yeah, Commissioner Lamarca, you know, if we could vote to change racism in the history, um, I think we could probably do that, and and then we could all be accountable. But um, considering that Democrats aren't the only ones that live in the county and in the state and that have made created this system, I think that. Um, that comment was a bit inappropriate. Um, Mayor, Mayor, with all due, with all due respect, I'm, I'm not saying that. I just but that I, was that was what was that was that was what was said, and we can't change history. But you're elected not, too, again, so are, I mean, does that mean that you have no no responsibility in this as well, um, Commissioner Udine oh, is next I, in the I, queue. I have plenty of responsibility, but I'm not in history. Okay, wonderful. And I wasn't born then, Commissioner Udine. In honor of my friends in Tallahassee, I will waive my comments and say I'm very much in support. Okay. Commissioner Rich? Yeah, I also uh, support this, and uh, uh, I, I'm hoping that we can maybe learn some things from this that will be uh, transferable to the, uh, the uh, juvenile citation and the diversion program that we have with the Barrett Behavioral Health Coalition, because there are many cities that are not participating. Uh, we have big goose eggs every month when we get our, uh, our chart about uh, how many civil citations there were uh, uh, within um, our, our, our cities. So uh, hopefully, uh, maybe as uh, this group irons out some of the details, some of it will help us to uh, make the program with the BBHC uh, more effective too. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Bogan. Uh, my questions were answered. I support it. Thank you. Vice Mayor Furr. Thank you. I'm in full support of this. I would like to, to know how does this um, get implemented throughout the county? Is, it, is there a problem on this? Uh, because I know with our civil citations, a lot of them are based on which uh, law enforcement agency wants to implement it. They either do or they don't. Correct. So how do we make sure that this is implemented countywide? Okay. Thank you. Okay, well, so, I'm in support of it as well. Can we yes. have a motion to approve let, it? Let me, let me close, uh, uh, Commissioner, uh, I'm sorry, Mayor, and, 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 and uh, move the item. So here's, here's, here's to close, here, here's, here's the 
the, the, the issue that was raised that folks need to understand. We're not talking about violent offenses or DUI. That's not what we envision in this right. program. So let's take that off the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of your question, Vice Mayor Farr, uh, it is the will of our leadership to implement this program. And where it is lacking with the civil citation program that has saved us $14 million and saved our children's lives for the future, it is lack of will on the part of the leadership in those cities to ensure that their law enforcement uh, officers are utilizing the programs that benefit these children and benefit us. What we will have to do when we pass this item, as I realize we will, is that we must then go out, all of us here, and expend some political capital to ensure that in each city that we represent, that those cities are into this program. And that's why I went to Fort Lauderdale first, because they have opted out of our cannabis ordinance. So it's not being issued there, because they had a reason, they said, because it, there was not a centralized repository. We've got a centralized repository repository now with the clerks stepping in to help us with this. But in terms of the juvenile civil citation, there's absolutely no excuse why any municipality in Broward County is not utilizing that program. So with that, I move this item. All those in favor of item number 35 signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously. Commissioner Lamarca, we need you to record your vote, please. Okay, so that passes unanimously with those on the on the dais. Okay, the next item on our agenda is item number 34, which will be heard concurrently with item 40 and 41. Um, The speakers that I have signed up on item 34 are John Camillo, Mike Moskowitz, Gail Weisberg, and um, George Platt for item 40. So could you please come forward? John Camillo, Michael Moskowitz, Gail Weisberg, and George Platt. I am. Okay. And I'll take 45 as well with these items. Okay. At this time, Mr. Camillo. I got 34. 40 and 41 and 45 on this. They're all transportation. Go ahead. I don't want my seven seconds back, but if you I You can have them. your seven seconds. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Mayor, uh, Commissioners. I want to bring you up to date. Since last week's uh, commission meeting, um, I think staff has found a solution that should work in almost every taxi cab in Broward County. Um, Cab Connect is a national uh, product that works with most of the major uh, taxi cab rear seat point of sale systems such as Verifone and so on. Uh, I have met with Mr. Strobus. We had a very interesting and uh, lively conversation, but it was productive and I really appreciate the work he's put in. Um, Commissioners, this isn't a yellow cab program. This is a program for the citizens that need this type of transportation. It will, when implemented, uh, truly assist the most vulnerable uh, uh, people here in Broward that need uh, the social service transportation that the TOPS program provides. It will relieve a lot of the pressure that the current current providers are under 
because of the volume of calls and the extent to which the current escalation of the need has grown since this program was envisioned. Um, it's not to substitute, but instead to augment and to create a better, more efficient system for the uh, citizens here in Broward. I thank you for putting the time and the attention into this. Thank you. Our next speaker is Michael Moskowitz. Good, mo good morning, Mayor, members of the Commission. Michael Moskowitz here today along with Mr. Platt, representing Transportation America, which is one of your two providers providing paratransit here in Broward County, and I believe that we are the largest paratransit provider in the state of Florida. We're not here today to address the pilot program. We addressed that back in April. You're proceeding with it. We understand that. What I want to discuss is the problems that apparently came up that some commissioners mentioned uh, last week, and that deals with uh, perhaps uh, a delay in people getting obtaining this service. So let's talk about what has occurred. The utilization of this program between 2016 and 2017 is up approximately 40 to 50 percent. That means several things. One is you are doing something right. You, Broward County, are doing something right because you're providing this service. Two, the providers are doing something right by providing this service in the manner that we are doing that. And you can check with your staff on what our record is in terms of on-time performance. Three, the need for this valuable service is increasing. Just look at the population. The baby boomers, which I'm one, are becoming of age, and we are going to be the largest senior population ever in the history of this country. The need for this service is greater than ever. What is the issue? Because the need and the utilization has risen so dramatically, there's a shortage of vehicles. So let's just for the moment compare what Broward County does versus other counties, for example, Miami-Dade County. In Miami-Dade County, where we provide this service, we own the vehicles. We purchase them. We own them. It's factored into the rate that we charge the county. We have a whole shop where you can rebuild these entire vehicles soup to nuts. The reason for that is because when there's a need, we have, we're in charge of the metrics. And when there's a need for another vehicle, which in a matter of weeks, we go from purchase to being on the street. We have tremendous buying power in that regard. Here in Broward County, you own the vehicles, you purchase the vehicles, we service the vehicles, and obviously drive the vehicles, etc. We believe that the, this county, in addition to the, what you're looking at in the pilot program, should look at the concept of the providers providing the supplemental vehicles. We can do it faster, we can do it better. This is not a criticism of staff or anything in that regard. It's simply a, a thing that when you're looking at this program, this is a way to better the program. We're here to help. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Gail Weisberg. Good afternoon. My name is Gail Weisberg, and I represent the Daniel Cantor Senior Center and all the riders throughout Broward County. First, I want to thank Commissioner Rich, Commissioner Udine, Chris, and also Paul Strobers for coming out last week to actually listen to my seniors and their concerns. The average age at the Cantor Center is 90. 90. 80% 80 of them were on walkers or in wheelchairs. I just have to tell you that I really, really support this Rider Choice program. I'm going to give you a little example. Last week, she was only 89. 
she was on the Carl Springs run with seven other people. So it was North Tamarack, Carl Springs. Everybody was off the bus. There was a fax, it went on the screen, that they forgot somebody at the cancer center. Instead of dropping off this 99 year no, she was 89 years old woman, they brought her back to the cancer center to pick up the other person, and two and a half hours later, she got home. Guess what? She had an accident in her pants. This is not unusual. They're 99 years old, 100 years old. I, ha I celebrate 100th birthdays all the time. Anyway, also, when we call after, there's a window, as you all know. It's a half hour window either way. After that time is over, either they call or we call. Do you think that 25 to 30 minutes on hold is acceptable? I'm ready to kill somebody. The seniors are, I'm not coming back. You know, that's what they say. I'm not coming back. I'm not going through this anymore. But there's some answers. So I'm asking you to really support this pilot program. And the Cantor Center, we're willing to be your guinea pigs. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Our last speaker is George Platt. Can you please come forward? Good morning, Commissioners. George Platt from LSN on behalf of Transportation America and also here today on behalf of Inktel. Um, we're um, very thankful to you for your commitment to this program, which you've shown over the last few years and which you're showing again today. Uh, not only the TOPS program, which is a victim of its own success, let's face it, the demand is terrific. Uh, we've got a good provider uh, in terms of Transportation America. The staff is working hard at it. The pilot program is going to get off the ground. Uh, we had a good negotiation that you're going to approve later in this meeting, I hope, uh, in order to make sure that, in fact, the call center can be much more responsive because of the demand. The demand is good. This is not a bad thing. The question is, how do we deal with it? And so you don't deal with it in one way. You deal with it in multiple ways. Certainly the TOPS program, last week you decided to go forward with the ordering uh, or trying to get a grant for additional vehicles. That's great. You're doing the pilot program, uh, with the, uh, uh, which I think is, is a, a choice program that, uh, that can possibly work and work well. Um, there's enough to go around for everybody. Uh, what we offer here today on behalf of Transportation America is at least on an interim basis, so where there is a need, there just aren't enough vehicles right now that you have in your, uh, within your inventory uh, that we could provide additional vehicles to supplement what we already have working with the county, and we're willing to consider that if you're interested uh, until you get the vehicles that you are applying for. And um, so all in all, we would say that uh, I think the system is on the verge of greatness, uh, but clearly uh, people love it. Uh, the Cantor Center and all the other centers that can benefit by this will benefit by the improved call center uh, staffing as well as the improved vehicle availability. So thank you all very much for your commitment, and we thank staff for all that they're doing as well. Thank you. That concludes. That concludes our audience speakers. At this time, I do have a queue. It's Commissioner Ryan, followed by Vice Mayor Farrer, followed by Bogan, followed by Commissioner Holmes. After this discussion, I think we're going we're gonna to vote on, number one, whether or not we'll uh, approve that debit card 
so that we can get going on this pilot program um, to offer alternatives for persons using TOPS. Uh, this is going to be for the short trips, five miles or less, where it'll cost less than $15, much more convenient. Uh, I, I suppose that when you, when you call TOPS, you have to schedule like 24 hours in advance on your, your trip. Um, but here you'd be able to call and perhaps you could have um, a cab or if the TNCs come on board, a TNC there in, in 30 minutes uh, on that shortened ride. Um, there's a second item here, which is the um, increase in the hourly rate for the call center and the dispatch that sends the, the TOPS vehicles there. Um, and it's a, um, it talked about a 40% increase in call volume over the last three years. Uh, so there's a uh, proposal to increase by 40% the hourly fee that is paid, I don't know what the number is now, $277 an hour, and uh, multiplied by the number of hours for the, um, for the year. It's like 22 hours a day uh, at that price. So I didn't see any kind of accountability in, in that proposal. If we're going to do a one-year extension, we're going to give a 40% increase in the hourly rate. Um, what are we requiring from the call center, from the call takers and the dispatchers, that they're going to drive down that call wait time? We had a lady come in here now, talk about persons in their 90s. they got to wait 20 or 30 minutes for their call to get picked up. Um, what assurances are we going to get by putting this additional money in that we're going to have improved customer service? TOPS uh, is an invaluable program. It's required by Americans with Disability Act. It's critical for elderly people in the community. But at the same time, it is far and away the most expensive component per trip for anything that we have in transit. So we've got to keep an eye on these costs. So what accountability are we getting to the county administrator? Thank you, um, Mr. Walton, if you can come to the podium. But while he's coming, I just want to uh, remind everyone, and I know that I, I've heard it, but I just want to make sure we're all clear that the pilot program, it is, we're starting out as a pilot, so not all of our um, uh, users will be able to take advantage of this. And I, I hear it a lot, but I don't want people to take away from this conversation that they all now will, you know, will be eligible. So we're going to start out um, as a pilot. But more specific to your question, uh, Mr. Walden, if you can go to how our agreement is structured um, with Intel. We have performance metrics, to Commissioner Ryan, we have performance metrics built into our agreement. Basically, the requirement for the call center is that 98% of the calls must be answered within two minutes. Um, so that is what the, the expectation of the call center is, is to meet. If they don't do that, we have disincentives built into the contract that we will actually find them for. That's really what was kind of the genesis of, of this issue. Um, we started noticing that we were getting more calls. They started telling us that they needed more call takers. So approximately four to five weeks ago, we um, actually sat with them because you know we get vendors a lot of times telling us that they need more resources, but we don't just take them at their word. We have to analyze the data. So once we began to analyze the data that they are providing from their their, their um, AC from the calling technology, we could actually see that the call volume, the wait times were going up, and the call volume had gone up substantially. 
So we were able to, uh, in a sunshine session last week, negotiate a, a new rate, which we agree that will, based on this, the staffing models that they had in place. The, the issue with the call center is it's somewhat different than, than fixed route transportation in terms of the peaks and valleys. Our busiest days of the week are Monday, Wednesday, and Tuesday. It tails off the rest of the week, and the weekends are much lower. So the distribution of calls are really between 6 in the morning and about 12 noon, and it picks up again in the afternoon. We can, we can, we can get maybe six, seven, eight hundred, or 1,000 trips within that time period. So what this program will do, or what the additional call takers will do, will be plugged into those peak periods to make sure that we're able to reduce the call wait time to under two minutes. Well, I'm, I would say absolutely. If you say most of the call volume is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from 6 a.m. till noon, and this contract calls for um, reimbursement for an average of 22 hours a day, seven days a week, then certainly these these call centers and dispatch centers just need to have more employees during the peak time. I mean, that's, that's their responsibility because they can just double up or triple right. the hourly rate um, to, to meet that volume. The, the second thing that was brought up was with regard to um, the, uh, the drivers, the companies that provide the, uh, the transport services and, and their request for additional vehicles. So if you could comment on whether you feel that need as, as requested by the vendors. And if so, I mean, we pay for, we have bought these vehicles and this is a new direction we took because we wanted to have more control of the program because the, the costs were just skyrocketing. So we decided to try to continue to provide the quality service but own the vehicles. If, if we need to bring additional vehicles on, how long does it take you to purchase these additional vehicles? And in fact, if, if the, the vendor wants to provide the vehicles, how do we integrate that into a system where we already own the fleet and we're not gonna change that policy if, if there's a short-term need or an immediate need for some more vehicles, uh, what are you doing with that, that proposal? Well, we have, I think this is our third time purchasing additional vehicles since the inception of, of the program. We brought them initially with our federal funds in 2015 to just try to cover the growth of the program. So we have an ongoing basis been acquiring new vehicles. But to answer the question about the, the and, and the reason that we did that uh, was when we had the, the old model of paratransit where we had uh, three vendors and they had a number of subs. Some of the subs pulled out, they owned the vehicles at the time. Their subs pulled out and there wasn't enough capacity for the remaining vendors to pick up the slack. So we didn't want to get caught short again. So we decided that we would own the vehicles so that if a vendor decided to, to leave, we had the vehicles, we could just bring another vendor in. Um, but you know, in terms of a, a short-term fix, that's something we could certainly discuss with our existing paratransit providers and it would just require another sunshine negotiation session and an amendment to the contract. Thank you, Mr. Wall. Uh, Mayor, yes. just, uh, just one more tag on to that conversation. Um, um, in, uh, in my briefings with um, Senator Rich, we talked about the, the issue of the algorithms and how we are actually um, having the vehicles uh, go to um, these facilities um, to make sure because you know most of our vehicles are taking one and a half or two and a half uh, clients when we pick them up so we we certainly want to start to 
focus on that issue. We talked about that yesterday to make sure that we're getting the best utilization of the, of the, the current vehicles that we have. And obviously we can look at supplementing if that is insufficient. Yeah, to that, to that point, we, uh, in our maintenance agreement, we, we've actually had conversations with the software vendor to look at the algorithms, take a look to make sure that that type of situation uh, doesn't reoccur. Yes, uh, Commissioner Rich. Yeah, thank you. So um, I, I kind of want to follow up with that because, as you know, that was brought up a lot, those different situations uh, last week. Um, and, and the word was used by one of the, uh, the I, I call them advocates, the seniors that spoke, that, you know, what about common sense? So I'm going to ask you about the, the issue that happened that uh, Ms. Weisberg just mentioned where someone was left on the bus Okay, and um, you know she had to go back to the Stan Cantor Senior Center. Then two hours later, she got home. So, in in terms of common sense, so how does uh, the, a, a driver make a decision whether or not they drop that person off at home and then go back to the Cantor Senior Center, you know, or do what they did, which I think obviously you know was not the right decision so how, how, how are you dealing with that is it training the, the driver doesn't make that decision okay so who makes that decision the dispatcher would make that decision they would, okay. call, well, they would call back to the call center and the call center would, would mm -hmm. check to see if there's another vehicle closer in the area mm -hmm. that could pick that person up but I, I can't speak to the particulars of, okay. of that because I, I don't know yeah but, but I, I just want to bring but, it forward because th those are the types of issues that I think we need you know if we're going to be spending all this money and doing and, and we need it we need more people at the call center need more buses but we also need uh, people who it, it's like the woman said you know if the if the computer algorithm isn't working use common sense so something and, and, has and to be fixed along with these negotiations uh, not only are they bringing in more call takers they're bringing in what we call more schedulers who will actually take a look at the schedules as they're being built to make sure that those type of situations are addressed if something looks that looks like it could it could or should be adjusted they can make that adjustment who can make the adjustment the they actually have more than just call takers they have people actually okay. monitoring the schedules so they're bringing in a couple of additional schedulers as well so I just wanted to, so the, the person who would make that decision, if someone, if the driver called in and said, I have this situation, the scheduler is now going to make that decision about whether or not Dispenser. to take that woman home or to go back to the cancer center and get somebody else and then take that woman home. They would actually, uh, the, the actually, the, you have at the dispatch center, typically the, the schedulers are, are just monitoring the schedules. So they might not make the, the particular decision on that call, but the dispatchers have the ability to look at all of the, the buses in the area. So they, they, can make, they can make the decision looking at the map to see which bus is the closest to the center and can send that bus. That would be the ideal solution. But, but my point is that bus that that lady was on could have been the closest one to the center, but didn't anyone know that she had already been picked up at the center and seven other people got dropped off at home and now they're going to take her back. I mean, Again, I can't speak to the particulars yeah, well, of that situation, okay. but I just heard it so, when you did. So, okay. I mean, I can so find those are it. the kinds of things I think we need to somehow factor in to this so that people Understood. don't have those situations. Understood. Thank you. Thank you. The next speaker is Commissioner Bolgan. Uh, I brought this uh, item up last week on the agenda, and uh, Chris, thank you for uh, uh, 
bringing this forward. I have some questions for you, if, I, if you don't mind. Um, while he's coming up, Bertha, in all our budget talks, you talk about we need to save money, and um, you know, as, as commissioners, we're save money. Obviously, if the expansion of this program is so significant, obviously the tops provider companies are doing very well; they're getting good business. But we save nearly 50 percent by using this pilot program based on the cost. If you know, in small trips, we're saving 50 percent of taxpayer money. Why do we need to limit on a when you? Briefly said before, this is not, it's just a pilot program. You know, why not uh, expand the pilot program since the uh, needs are so great? The tops providers still have, are plenty busy. We're not taking business away. This is additional. We're getting so many more people wanting to use the service. Why don't we try to save money and expand the pilot program? Because we have um, we have agreements with the, the major providers. The rate that they gave us is a blended rate. So they gave us a rate that takes into consideration that they're going to have long trips and short trips. So it's a blended rate. The, those contracts end in a couple of years. And the reason we're doing this pilot project is that we may need to look at a different model going forward in the future. And then to do that, we'd have to develop a whole new solicitation on how to go about doing that. But if we were to peel off all the lower end trips, um, I'm sure we could end up with some issues with the providers who gave us a blended rate. I see, okay. Can um, I also add to that? Additionally, the integration of CABs and TNCs into paratransit programs is going on across the country. There are issues associated with different models and different methods. We want to do this as a pilot to make sure that it works properly before I got consideration it. of I got it. I got a question. Uh, as, as Commissioner Rich brought up, or if, if there's, last week I also brought up an email where people were complaining about a problem they had on the tops. Um, if I'm riding a tops bus and I'm being taken around, I have a problem, who do I call to complain? The call center. What's that number? Oh, I don't know, but all of our clients have it. Okay. I'm a commissioner. I don't know the call center number. You run the department. You don't know it. How is an average person in their 80s or 90s going to know who to call? We send mailings out to every client. Can, can I interrupt you? You, you already have. I'm going to interrupt you. <laughs> Chris, let, let me make the suggestion. Why can't there be a notice on every bus, every vehicle that says, if you've got a problem with this ride or you've got a problem, People will know where to call because otherwise, you say we're monitoring violations, we're not having problems. People are emailing me because they don't know where to go to voice problems. And I would say that if our calling volume has gone up 40%, apparently somebody has, I mean, we're, we're getting the calls. That doesn't we, mean that the we, service is great. Okay. All right. Right? There's a need. That means there's there, a big need. There clearly is a need right. for additional service. There clearly is a need for additional call takers. So my, back to my question. If there's a problem and people want to report problems, is there, is there a way in which do we need to vote on this or is there a way in which you can have require every one of our provider buses to put up a sign, if you have a problem with this ride, call this number? So um, she's saying, is there, me, wait, I don't know. Wait, wait, wait. Commissioner Bogan, point of order. If the, someone from the audience is going to speak, they have to come to the microphone because the people that are listening to us cannot hear you. 
So if you would like to speak, you can come forward. I, I don't. Uh, and answer and the question. Let me just answer that. There is no problem with us doing that. So I don't. Um, Great. Okay. You, if you have a, a, a number, you have a concern and you want to make a phone call. We don't have a problem with having a number on, on the vehicle that people can use. But I think she was saying that it's all there is something already there. That's I, what I was trying to I get understand. Her to say. So my, my point is if it's already there, it's fine. If we don't have it, we will get it. It's not it's we, not, not that's, the, come on up that's what I'm trying to get her to come back and so she can just on the vehicle. I that same lady I need you to go to the microphone. There. Chris. It's on the vehicle. That same woman that uh, Commissioner Rich talked about. She keeps a cell phone on the bus, but she can't get through. In other words, she's calling and saying to them, I'm on the bus for so much time, I'm having problems, but she's got the what telephone number. What number is she calling? Where is she calling? Do you have any she's idea? She's calling the call center. Okay. You can, I'm not talking about making complaints to a call center. You're dealing there's with... There's a call. There's also a complaint number, a that's separate number that's calling the county. That's what I'm getting at. That number is not there, but there is such okay. a number. So back to my, so we can put a number on the bu on all these buses. So when people are feel like they're not getting the service, they're waiting two hours, whatever's going on, there's a number for them to call. So what I would like to do, what I would like to do, because we're having this discussion, um, um, you know, our goal is to to make sure that our passengers um, are treated fairly and the right. like. So can okay. we just bring this back to you to tell you exactly what? what happens in this situation and then and how we're going to address it beautiful okay and uh, also i need to stop the meeting for a second and extend the meeting yes. i move to extend the meeting all those in favor of extending the meeting aye. by 20 minutes signify by saying aye aye, aye. all opposed I got one last question i know you do i just have to extend the meeting first yes, we all vote. okay so now um we've extended the meeting by 20 minutes the time is now 12 35 so we will we will put the adjourn the meeting and go into our shade workshop shade meeting at um, twelve fifty five. Okay. One quick question. I'm done. There you go. Chris, sorry, I'm giving you exercise. <laughs> Chris, with respect to the call center, yes. um, you said that there is. Uh, you said to Commissioner Ryan, there's performance metrics. Yes. Um, who's determining when the performance metrics are being violated? We are. Okay, so when people say that they've been on hold for 20, 30 minutes constantly, is our, is our attorney here um, fining this company? Are we holding them accountable? What's we been do. happening? We do. And we've been do have we yeah, been holding yes. them accountable? We hold our call center accountable with, with uh, performance, what we call, we call them disincentives and fines, as right. well as our providers. So we have fined them already? We, we have. Yes, we have. And we've, we've also fined our providers okay. as well. Um, okay, thank you. Okay, commissioners, we have two very long items left on this agenda. Um, can we just agree to be very brief and move this along? These, these four items need to conclude. Vice Mayor Furr? I'll make it real quick. Um, Chris, can I talk, ask you a question real quick? This is going to include, not, not initially, first it's including the taxis. Initially, you're planning on bringing TNCs into this? We're, bring the, we're having a meeting, uh, a demonstration tomorrow. Okay. Uh, and we invited all the taxi companies in the county as well as the TNCs. Now, they wouldn't be using a telephone, though. So uh, is that being taken into consideration? Right. As part of the pilot program, the, the software company, yeah. Cab Connect, has indicated that if the TNCs are interested, they, they can't participate. They have to modify the app somewhat. Right. But they will be able to participate, and we'll find out tomorrow if they're interested. 
And have, have you already had a chance to look at what how Boston's doing it? Because that's the only one I've been able to see that's doing paratransit with TNCs. Um, have we yeah. had a chance to? And what's the? Well, again, you know the. The, the, the reason that we've been so cautious with this program is that because of the number of, of systems across the country that have tried to do this integration, they've had a number of different challenges. Boston has had some challenges as okay. well. Um, it's working, though, but it is, it is working. Um, but, you know, there's some accountability in terms of using federal dollars, right. you, you know, we use county dollars to pay the operating here. In, in some systems, uh, I mean, we've talked about Pinellas. Pinellas actually took their route funding and cut it to operate their, to, to use their user, right. uh, the, the Uber, Uber subsidy. I think there's some issues with that. And I think, you know, we just need to be careful how we deploy this to make sure that we avoid any particular federal concerns down the line. Okay, and is TOPS being, are we considering putting this into the MyRide app or not? Um, so that people can actually see when things are coming, where they're at. Well, you know, TOPS isn't available to the general public. I know, but it would still show. You could still have it show on the MyRide. That has not been something we've considered. Okay. I mean, I, we could take a look at it, but that, that has not been something we've considered because the, the, the paratransit population is, is much smaller than the general population, and I don't know that it would, you know, paratransit is about 2% of our ridership, so I don't know that the other 98% would, would benefit from having that, that TOPS uh, vehicle. We okay. can take a look at it. All right. All right. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Commissioner uh, Holness. And I'll be very brief. Uh, uh, two things. You, you said there's a, shade, there's a meeting coming up. Uh, have we publicized this to? Yes, we have. Okay. We have notified every cab company and every TNC in the county. Okay. Uh, the other question I have uh, is, what is our timeline for imp fully implementing this, uh, this? Because we've been at this for a while. Give me some timelines as to, uh, because I, I think we need to be aggressive in moving this forward. We've talked, talked, and, and I, yes, I know there's some challenges along yeah. the way, but, but I think at this point in time, we really need to, I, and I, Put the I, rubber on the road. I, I agree with you. Okay. And we, um, again, we, we will have the demonstration with, with the cab companies and the TNCs tomorrow. Uh, after which, and basically we'll explain them how the program is going to work. After which we'll enter into Sunshine negotiations with Cab Connect, the company that provides the software. And uh, it is our intention to, then we have the process of, of identifying and notifying people that will be serving in the pilot and it's our intention to bring something back to the first of the year for first of the year meaning January yes okay thank you okay Commissioner Udine to close it out thank you mayor couple things um, I'm supportive of the pilot program but I want to make sure when we have a matrix that we get provided from county staff you know measurable benchmarks and results I want to if we're going to roll this out to 150 people I want to see some evidence-based fact that comes back to us as we work this forward I think it's important to do it the right way to make sure that it works because I think we're going to need to do this pilot program a little bit a little bit more in 
I think we're going to need to expand on it eventually, but I only want to expand on it if it's something that is fact-based that comes back to us that works. Um, you know, when I met with a lot of the people at the, at the Canner Center, and I've seen this before, one of the things that struck me, because I served on the Canner Center board for many years in the past, would, they, would, would county transportation, your department, still be open with them? Because the Canner Center is one of the companies that switched. They're one of the nonprofits that switched. And most of the service providers use their own transportation with a reimbursement back from the county. That's what the Canner Center did up until a couple of years ago. They scrapped that program and then put everybody into this general population of TOPS riders. So I think that that should still be open on the table that you could meet with Gail to see if there's possibly another way that we can peel this apple. Yeah, Commissioner, what you're describing is what we call our ACT program, our Agency Coordinated Transportation Program, where nonprofit uh, providers would provide their own transportation for their own clients. Um, the and we reimburse them back. Yeah, we cover the cost of transportation. Right. Uh, they typically, through the 5339 state grant program, get the vehicles at a 90%, they pay a 10%, state pays 90%. Um, and we will cover the costs of their transportation. And uh, we do that with a number of, number of cities to, to handle paratransit, and we do it with a number of, of nonprofits, of which the Canner Center was a provider uh, and dropped out. But yeah, we would certainly welcome them to come back because it, it makes a lot of sense because they would use their employees to transport their clients, and it separates them from the general pool, and, and the service is, is much better. So I think that option should still be open to the Canner Center to, to look at that. Um, I also, you know, as we, as we move forward with this, I, it, this is obvious to me that this is a resource issue. That's why when we had this item that came before us last time, I didn't want to defer anything. We need more sedans and we need more call center employees. I mean, that's clear to me. Agenda item number 45 that you have on your agenda today tries to solve the issue or add to the issue of call center employees. And I support that. I support you, this, the, the meetings that you had. The only thing that I will say is when we do, if there is a motion to approve the additional call center employees, I want it to be subject to our county attorney being able to modify some of this agreement here because like if you look at page two item four I mean it just does, this agreement doesn't make a lot of sense to me when I read it the document incorporates and includes all prior negotiations etc 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 and then it says anything outside of this document are not included in this document this needs to be tightened up and cleaned mm -hmm. up by the county attorney so as long as it's something that we can do when we approve it if Drew says that's the case. Why don't no, you make that a motion well, right well, now? When I he do did, make the motion, I'm going to include that. Approval. I want to make sure that it doesn't need to be re -averaged. I don't want to slow this down. I just want it to be done correctly. Yes, I, I think that that could be cleaned up. I also, uh, it's a difficult document to read without understanding the context. And uh, I spoke with Mr. Walden this morning, and I also spoke with our uh, main transportation attorney. And I understand the context. I, I think that it would make sense to add a couple of statements to this amendment. I know that Intel's attorney is here, and if he would agree to them, there are three short statements that I would like to read, and that certainly could amend this. Okay. 
So at the appropriate time, I'm going to have you read those statements. But right now, I'm going to go ahead and start moving the agenda. Okay, okay? so I'm the last speaker on this item. You yeah. are the last okay. speaker. I'd like to make a motion to approve the pilot program starting January 1st with deliverables back from county administration when it's done as part A. Part B, I want to make a motion to approve the additional call center personnel subject to our county attorney cleaning up the language and saying what he needs to say. Okay, so okay. for the record, okay. let me go ahead and do what I'm doing. Okay. Item number 34 is disposed of, Minute Secretary. Item 40 and 41 are disposed of. Those were discussion items. Item number 45 is the item that we're going to have okay. your motion on, and we're going to also have the county attorney read the um, statements that he wants to read. Commissioner Udine, did you finish making your motion on the two items that you wanted to add? Yes, right? subject to... Wait. Uh, Drew. Okay, so now I'm going to ask Mr. Uh, County Attorney to go ahead and read your statements. Y yes, just first with regard to the pilot uh, program. <coughs> Excuse me. As you noted, Mayor, those were just discussion items, but to the extent that there is authorization for staff to negotiate for the pilot project, uh, because there would not be uh, a competitive solicitation, uh, it would be appropriate to ask the board to consider a motion waiving Section 21.6C of the procurement code. That's, that's to implement the debit cards. That's, that's the pilot project, the debit cards. And that's, I'll include I, I, that in my motion. Okay. okay. And, and then secondly, and uh, it, it's my understanding that all of these statements are accurate and provide the context of this amendment that is attached to, uh, to item 45. Uh, number one, the stated hours and compensation cover the period of November 15th, 2017 through December 31st of 2018. So it's not merely a year, it would actually start tomorrow in terms of the hours and stated compensation. The increased hourly rate commences also tomorrow, 11-15 of 17. And finally, this increased rate is being provided due to an increase in call volume to enable the provider to increase its staffing as required to meet the contract's performance standards. I would like to, if that's okay with the provider, I think that those should be included in the document and the board's approval should be subject to that, plus correcting the one point that Commissioner Udine mentioned. Okay. And so, okay, so I have. all of that. Okay, so Minute Secretary, are you okay with that? Okay. Um, uh, Mr. George Platt, Platt. Uh, <laughs> on behalf of Inktel, and we definitely agree with that language. Thank you. Okay, at this time, we have an amended motion on the floor with the second. All those in favor of 45 as amended, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed, let the record show that that passes unanimously. Now, um, at this time, commissioners, we have items 36 and 37 left on agenda. 36 has one audience speaker, which will be two minutes, plus the, the sponsor, which will be another two. That's four. And then I have six speakers signed up on 37, which will be 12 minutes. So I need 16, 17. I'm going to need to go to 105. Can I get a motion to so extend? Okay. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. All opposed? Let the record show that that passes unanimously. We're extended to 1.05 p.m. Item 36, um, I have uh, one audience poll. That's Mr. Rand. Mr. Rand, could you please come to the podium? And I was executed for standing up for my civil rights when a civil citation would have been good. Uh, 
I have some background knowledge of this uh, uh, fight that you're joining into and all. Uh, as a chemist, scientist, somebody who's actually sampled out in the Everglades, I have first-hand knowledge. The standard that the state had set, I don't know if they've changed it, maybe Jennifer knows otherwise, used to be 10 micrograms per liter. The detection limit was 5 micrograms. In other words, the standard was so low you couldn't clean, you couldn't clean anything to that point. And the Loxahatchee River, which is a, um, a, a background river, it's clean. Uh, that can't meet that standard. Phosphorus is everywhere in the state. And um, the Seminole or Miccosukee successfully sued 25 or 30 years ago because of that S9 pump station that's at Everglades Holiday Park, which back pumps all the urban drainage from Weston and Bonaventure, which wouldn't exist without that pump station. And they negotiated a deal at the time to allow for that back pumping. Also, when I sampled in the Everglades with the uh, Water Management District, they had lat-long grids from GPS satellites. So we literally had to climb through the pristine waters, through the barbed wire to get to a mud hole full of crap to the sample because of a lot long. A similar situation is in Ms. Uh, Commissioner Holness's district where the Delavoe Park lake there is really a pristine, um, or close to pristine, it's a spring. Whereas if you walk 50 feet further, that North Fork is a pretty nasty contaminated thing still. So you're seeing how the water bodies, what you're sampling, doesn't add up versus a standard that's too low and too stringent. And I think that's what the uh, Tallahassee has tried to raise that phosphorus in particular standard as to be actually that you could work on and achieve throughout the state. And I think that's what's going on. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Geller, back to you. Thank you, Madam Mayor. In 2016, Florida DEP recommended changes uh, to existing water standards that would permit it increased benzene, uh, harmful chemicals, and other carcinogens into the water. An appeal, uh, this went to the Florida Environmental Resources Commission, a seven-member board. However, there were only five members because Governor Scott had not appointed the local government rep or the environmental community rep. By a vote of three to two, they passed it with the three, with three industry reps voting yes and the two scientists voting no. An appeal was filed. That appeal may not have been filed timely, or at least that was the ruling, because it was filed on the right day, but not the right time of day. Last month, the appellate court reversed and reinstated the lawsuit. Uh, currently, although they separated them, they're no longer one lawsuit. Currently, the Seminole Tribe, Martin County, and the City of Miami are suing to protect the state's water. At a joint South Florida Treasure Coast Regional Planning Council meeting, after Commissioner Fur left, I brought up a motion, and I've contacted Dade and Palm Beach County, asking all of us to join in the lawsuit to bring greater resources and to show South Florida unified political support for this. So the mo today's motion is, and I've discussed this with the county attorney, they say it's appropriate if the board votes this way, to add the county attorney, authorized county attorney, to intervene on behalf of Broward County in whichever of the lawsuits it determines would be the best fit, probably that of Martin County. That is the motion, Madam Mayor. Got it. Okay, all those in favor of item 30. Oh, I'm sorry. Vice Mayor Fur. Sorry, real quick. I'm real glad you brought this up. I know when, the, when we had a chance to, bring it, to intervene in, in 2016, I think Joni at the time had said this will be our bite at the apple when, right. when there was a, uh, a, a lawsuit like this. So this is our bite at the apple for it. 
I'm glad we're doing it, and let's vote for it. Thank you, okay. Madam Mayor. Wonderful. We have a motion and a second on the floor in item 36. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed? Let the record show that passes unanimously uh, with those here on the dais. Okay. Item number 37 is a motion to direct the Office of the County Attorney to draft an ordinance amending Chapter 26, Article 7 of the Broward County Code of Ordinances, the Living Wage Ordinance, to increase the living wage paid to covered employees, increase the health benefit amount, and amend the indexing of the living wage to the appropriate category. Commissioner Rich is the sponsor of this item. Could you please open it, Commissioner Rich? Yes, thank you, Madam Mayor, and thanks for extending. Uh, these people have been here all morning, and I know they just have a few words to say uh, about uh, about this issue. And I just wanted to say that uh, we're, you know, not suggesting doing this in a vacuum. Uh, we understand that there are lots of groups, people that are going to hear from this morning are, uh, have to do with the airport, but we have many groups that are part of the living wage. We have some maybe that should be that aren't. So I kind of ask that we take a, a, a look at this in its totality and then, uh, you know, come back with a recommendation for uh, an ordinance uh, to increase because I, I, I do believe very strongly okay. that um, we, we haven't kept up. This has been a, was a wonderful thing that was done by the county, but it now, now needs to be revisited to bump it up uh, because the truth is that we talk about affordable housing a lot and we've made it our number one priority, but you cannot solve affordable housing without increasing wages. It's a combination of the fact that we have low wages and high cost of housing that is causing us to be the worst cost-burdened metropolitan area in the United States, South Florida. So we have to look at everything in its totality. And I know that even, you know, not even, but our business community is looking at that as well. Uh, everybody realizes that this has to be, uh, the solution has to come in many ways. So this is just one of them, and I appreciate the opportunity. To Wonderful. To so now I'm going to get to the audience speakers. I have six. The first one is Esperanza Ariza, followed by Sandra Smith. Uh, good morning. My name is Esperanza Ariza. I am a security agent at the Fort Lauderdale Airport. Uh, besides that job, I had two more jobs. Two more jobs, in order to try to keep our decent life with my husband and taking care of our kids. Uh, we really work hard in the airport to keep our passengers, our passengers safe, and ourselves also. Uh, regarding that point, on January we had an issue, a big uh, attack, right? That we never expected. We were not prepared for that, and we act by our instincts, by our mm, own commitment to save our passengers, life passengers and our own passengers. So I bring that to this, com to this point because we need more training and technical training. Technical training and in general training. So I worked in the, at the airport and I had two more jobs. Even with these three jobs, I still need more my family, my husband and me, like other coworkers, uh, we don't feel that it's enough. We make enough uh, even money or every single day. I wake up and I feel like the water is coming up, up, and up. We feel like we need a life vest. I really need a life vest. And you are the only one that give us, give us, give us, give us that. 
I'm sorry, I'm a little emotional because every single day is a workout with that feeling that we, I don't know when we're going to be underwater at the end of the day. My husband, my kids, and me. So he said every single, every single fight, every single day we fight, thinking about that emotionally, physically, yeah, in the airport. Thank me, you. Me, my coworker, thank you so much for this thank time. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you but for you your But you are patience. our life best that we can give it to us, please. Thank you. The next speaker is Sandra Smith. Guys, we're going to have to keep it on time. I've extended to 105. Let's go. And not everybody has to use two minutes. I promise you, you're gonna, we're, we're going to do our job today. Come on. Okay, good day, everyone. Right. Um, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, my name is Sandra Smith. I'm a wheelchair attendant at Fort Lauderdale Airport. I work a second job as a cabin cleaner. I clean airplanes. Even though I work two jobs, I still have a very hard time in making ends meet. I got, uh, get few benefits. I don't have any paid sick days leave. It's not fair because we contribute to the huge profits that the airline earn. We clean the plane, care for passengers, and make sure their luggage get to the destination. During an emergency, the passengers always come to us. We are the first faces that the passengers see in the airport. We deserve to share in the airline's success. We thank the county commissioners for including us in the living wage ordinance. Unfortunately, the wages have not kept up to, the, to our living standards. And we need your help to correct this. Imagine I was sick in the hospital in a coma for seven days after getting out of that. I had to return to work four days after. So... It's very hard that we don't have any sick days or any stuff like that. As you're sick, you, you have to go to work sick right now. My leg is in a cast, and I have to be working because I cannot take any time off from work. So raising the living wage ordinance benefit benefits us and also passengers that we serve and protect on a daily basis. Improve, improving living wages and conditions of job at the airport, we also improve stability of the workforce. It's, it lowers turnover and make airport more secure. A better wages will all allow workers to worry less about making ends meet and focus on doing their jobs as best as they can. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker is Helene O'Brien. I'm gonna go really fast. Um, my name is Helene O'Brien. I'm the Florida director for 32BJ SEIU. Um, we represent subcontracted airport workers, including wheelchair attendants, baggage handlers, and security officers, and others who are fighting to raise standards at the airport. And we're grateful for your support two years ago when you voted to extend the living wage ordinance to these hardworking hard men and women. Today we're asking the commission to fix the living wage ordinance so that it can fulfill its original intent by creating full-time jobs that allow citizens to support themselves and their families with dignity. When it was passed in 2003, the ordinance required annually adjusting the living wage rate to inflation rates for the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area. But during the 2008 recession, increases were then capped and could not be higher than those of non-represented workers. Since then, the living wage has increased by an average of just 0.9%. 
Some workers are still earning poverty or near-poverty wages. Miami-Dade, for example, has actually raised its living wage to $12.99 an hour and has done a better job of keeping up with inflation. So we're asking the commission to eliminate the caps and raise the base living wage to $13.01, which would provide full-time employees with an income of 110% of federal poverty. Um, the health care differential would also be raised to 309 so that it could cover the average premium for an employer-provided health plan. Right now it's half of that, less than half of that. Um, last year, Miami-Dade did 316 an hour. Last January, shootings showed us that airport workers are an integral part of the airport, especially during a crisis. During the attack, some workers went the extra to help evacuate passengers, even though they weren't sure where to go or what to do. Raising wages reduces turnover, creates stability, and improves security. Um, we look forward to working with you to make the airport and port a safer. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next speaker is Theotis Presley. Good morning. My name is Theotis Presley. <clears throat> As many of you know, I have worked at the airport for more than a decade. First, I'd like to thank the county commissioners who and the county commission who include the subcontractors uh, for extending the living wage ordinance to us two years ago. More than 2,000 workers at the Fort Lauderdale Airport was making under $8 an hour. Now they are almost at $12 an hour. Truly, it had helped us. We had won. But it has been a long time coming. Truly, most of us like our job. We interact with other people. We care for the people. We learn a lot by wheeling the people, the passengers from place to place, from the, from the top with, in the wheelchairs to the gate. Just a couple years ago, I met the White Sox owner. He asked me particularly to be his a wheelchair assistant. And after that, he sent me a T-shirt and a, t a hat, which I was very pleased with. Let, let the truth, this do not end here. It's still a difference between the Miami Workers Airport and the Fort Lauderdale Airport. The cost is not the same. Still, it is very difficult for us to visit our family who's out of state and have family gathering. Some of us just able to pay our bills from month to month. Most of those bills that we pay are past due. Madam Mayor, do I need to extend to the completion of this extend item? Extend the living wages. I got one more minute, and then okay. I'll ask for an thank extension. You. Okay, thank you, Mr. Presley. The next speaker is Goldiri Girilas. She's not there. No. No. Okay. Next speaker is Medji Bisanti. My name is um, Meiji Bissaint. I'm working at the airport as a security agent, and then I do also customer service. Um, the reason why I'm here today is to ask about the um, pay training, because um, I was at the airport on um, last January when that shooting happened, and then um, everybody was running after me because I was in uniform and had a badge. And I even know where to go. 
but everybody was following me because I'm working at the airport. But I think it's really important uh, for us to get paid training because if something happens, at least we can serve herself and the other passenger. And then, because I have an experience um, last week, recently, last week, passenger came with a bag, it has a gang on it, and then he was so mad, and then when I gave him the bag, and he went to the restroom, and the same thing was happening in January, come in my mind, and then I said, I don't know what to do, and then I was really shocked, panicked, and scared also, and I'm a single mom with two kids, and I want make sure when I go to the airport, I'm safe and everybody else are safe. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that concludes our audience participation. At this time, I'm going back to the dais. I do have a queue, but I'm going to have to extend. Second. Commissioner Second. Geller, I'm gonna extend this by um, 10 minutes. Okay, can we I do this in 10? Yes. Okay, no, just 10, 10 minutes. minutes, guys. Because we got a, we, had, we had a 12:30 shade meeting, okay. So at 1:16, this is done. Commissioner Geller had a motion, and I had a second, second from Commissioner Holness. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. aye. All opposed. Let the record show that we've extended till 1:16 p.m. Okay. My first person in queue is Commissioner Bolgan, followed by Holness. I'll be 60 seconds. No uh, less. Spirit Airlines in 2017 reported the most profitable airline operating out of Fort Lauderdale, uh, Southwest American, they've all been profitable. Um, I understand Commissioner Rich wants to have needs because this affects more than the airport workers. I'd like to bifurcate promotion uh, with the county attorney and, and anything that doesn't have to do with the airport, we need to look into, as I spoke to um, our county administrator, I spoke to Mark Gale about this, and um, what I'd like to do is, is uh, make an amended motion that for the, with respect to the airport workers only, all those companies doing work at the airport, we approve the uh, proposed, uh, I'm sorry, we direct the county attorney to draft an ordinance to come back with a, a more in-depth living wage ordinance. And with respect to everything else, as, as Commissioner Rich, I understand we need to look into, see the consequences and effects of all the other groups that you talked about. But um, with, with the airline industry being so profitable and these workers have been out there and I believe being taken advantage of, I would like to offer an amended motion where we uh, direct our county attorney again to to um, uh, to move forward with a uh, living wage for airport workers and everybody else. We can come back and figure out what those the consequences are. That's my okay. that's an amended motion. I understand. The next person to speak is Commissioner Holness. Yeah, and and and, and I believe that might be a way for us to get there a little bit earlier than uh, uh, doing it all together. Uh, so I will be supportive of that motion. Uh, you going to second it? Yes, I'll second the motion. Uh, and, and, and one of the things I want us to discuss also that's been brought up here on several occasions, and I don't know, uh, County Administrator, uh, President of our airport, how we work to, uh, and possibly our County Attorney, how we work to uh, put in place a training program uh, that the employees that are not ours, because I know we offer our employees or direct employees the training uh, for security paid. Uh, but 
most of the people who work at the airport are not our direct staff. So I would like for us to explore within this also how we uh, put in place some paid training for these employees to ensure that we have uh, the, the connectivity to security at the airport in terms of reaction to incident might, that may occur. Uh, <clears throat> and then additionally, I, I will address something outside of this that is a part of this. Uh, in addition to Commissioner Bogan's motion, but Jermaine to the item in front of us, that we will have to look when we go forward how it affects uh, our budget, of course, when we come back to what we have to do here, and, and, and work to probably implement, maybe over a period of time, what we need to do here. Uh, I also, county administrator, want us to look at how we adjust uh, the cost of living raises that is a part of our ordinance uh, as it pertains to those uh, providers uh, such as our labor providers that we are contracted to uh, because that cost goes up each time we increase that and I don't think we have uh, anything in place to adjust uh, for them uh, those costs or cleaning service people that are very labor intensive. Okay. That as we increase the cost for the living wage, which is something we must do, we ought to be looking to see how we adjust uh, those uh, contracts also in my mind. Okay, come on Thank guys, you. let's go. Ma Mayor, Mr. I apologize, yes. I, I wouldn't ordinarily interrupt, but given your tight time frame, I just wanted to mention that there are legal concerns with imposing the living wage through a regulation uh, under the Airline Deregulation Act. Right now the living wage is imposed on certain airport workers uh, through contract. So the, the proper approach we believe to the extent the board wants us to look at this would be to look at what adjustments would be appropriate under the living wage to bring back a recommendation to the board working of course with staff and then we can decide and get direction from the board in terms of what contract amendment involving the airport workers would be appropriate. And, okay. and Mayor, my motion had to do with what we did two years ago on, on the dais. Same thing with the, what we're talking about. Okay, but uh, the county attorney is telling you that that's a problem, right? So, 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 no. no, no, he's not saying it's a problem. It's, it's okay. Are you saying that his motion is okay, county attorney? Uh, no. Sorry, sir. <laughs> Under uh, the way we did it two years ago. Yes, it's, it's through the, the uh, ASPA's airline service provider right. agreements, it, but, it's, but it's, it's cart and horse. We just want to basically... Whatever decision is, is made with regard to living wage and the financial impacts can be considered, uh, then those things, and again, we need to analyze these very carefully, but they could be uh, pursuant to contract amendments to impact the employees that are subject to those airline service provider agreements. I, I think that's what Commissioner Bogan is saying, and that's what I'm second in the motion I for, think correct? that the county attorney is giving you clarification that's on right. your He's motion. That's right. He's clarifying it. Then. So do you, are you okay with that? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. All right, so that, that minute secretary, good with that. All right, the next speaker in queue is Commissioner Ryan, followed by Vice Mayor Fern. To the county attorney, we always assumed that you were going to draft this in accordance with the federal preemption on the, on the, the wages for these airport workers. Um, when we complete this study, uh, what I would like to see happen, and when we come back, um, this, this ordinance is premised upon what the living wage is in Miami-Dade County. And uh, I don't know if we're able to do a cost of living analysis of Broward versus Miami-Dade County, 
I know that you, we do an analysis of cost of living in the South Florida area, which is the metropolitan area of Palm Beach County, Broward, and Miami-Dade. But in order to have accurate figures on cost of living, uh, I know that, that Miami-Dade County was determined to be the most expensive um, residential rental market in the United States when you compared wages to the cost of a, of a one-bedroom apartment, which averages $1,950 in Miami-Dade County. I don't know if it's that high in Broward. So if, we're gonna, if we are going to change the living wage based upon Miami-Dade, I think, in fairness, we need to know what the cost of living is, the differential between Broward County and Miami-Dade, if you could do so. I know you've got, your, uh, you've got Mr. Foster here from uh, Budget and Management. I don't know if you want to have him speak to the issue of whether you will yourself, County Administrator. Actually, what I'd like to do, um, what um, I had anticipated that we would do today is get direction from the board that says, go take a look at the living wage. Um, and what um, the attorney was trying to say, um, and I'm assuming that I have interpreted this correctly, the way that we did it the last time, it was consistent with our living wage ordinance. If we're going to have an ordinance that sort of splits it up by categories, I think we may run into some issues. We just want to get this right and not make commitments until we're able to do all of our research and come back to you with some specific recommendations. But we get what you're telling us. You want us to look at increasing the living wage, and we, we want to go do our due diligence and bring that back to you. But okay. I, I would like to have an answer whether you're aware of uh, any studies, any analysis that compares cost of living in Miami-Dade County versus Broward? If, if there is, we'll take a look at it, and I'll just remind everybody that our living wage has never been consistent with Miami-Dade. Okay. There's always been a difference. But there's no vote on it. It's just a direct item. Okay. This is just a motion to direct motion people. To direct. There's no vote on this. I, everybody wants to speak now, but I've got three people that haven't spoken that's still in queue. Vice Mayor Fur, followed by you, Dean, followed by Geller. Okay, thank you. First of all, I, I appreciate the way um, Commissioner Rich introduced us. I think you're right. We made, we've made a commitment as a county, as a county commission, to, to offer a living wage. We, should, we need to be sticking to that. So I'm fully in support of it. I appreciate what Commissioner Ryan said of trying to make it Broward-centric. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm not crazy about, sorry, Commissioner Brogan. I know, it's just, I, went, I went good, good. Good and I'm not so, I'm not so, I know, good. But I, 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 and I don't, and I, because I want it to be done holistically, I think if you start to, to pick and choose little parts, you can't you've got that. compression issues, you've got contracts throughout, every contract has a living wage within it. And you're going to start to have all kinds of things start to be toppling over each other. I want us to be able to take a, an overall look at it so that not only the airport, but throughout the entire county, all workers have a chance to, I know, okay. all, all workers have a chance to uh, enjoy that benefit. I know the wage and wa living wage advisory board commission, uh, I'm trying, I'm going fast. Okay. Going fast. Go the living wage advisory commission has also weighed in on this. I've been talking with them for months and they, they are wanting to do the same thing. So, okay. thank, thank you. you. Commissioner Udine, followed by Gallo. Just following up with Vice Mayor first said, um, there's an article in the paper this morning talking about the fastest growing jobs are $22,000 a year, which is below the federal poverty line, and that's a shame. But I think we need to have a comprehensive report done by county administration 
because once we do this with one sub-organization, it's going to cascade throughout the entire organization, and I want to see how this affects our workers, covered workers, non-covered workers. I, I, want the, I want the airport workers to get more money and more training, but I also want the port workers to get more money and more training if that's what the determination is to be made. It should be fair across all, all lines. So my direction would be to have um, our finance department and our legal team looking at the in totality with detailed ramifications of where we go, how it's going to affect our budget, even understanding that certain social services may go down and, and that could be an offset because what, we're, what I'm seeing from what, what I'm seeing is we just saw this with the SNAP program that we had. Those were not, those were, those were these people. And okay. we have to provide so much so social services because they're not being compensated enough. Thank you. Commissioner Geller? I agree with you, Dean. Gotcha. Let's vote. Okay. There is no vote. This was a motion to direct. Right. So, so you've given direction. I'll make a motion no. to direct subject to complete financial report back. Okay. All right. All right. But uh, Commissioner Holness, did you have something so, so to the, you say? So I think we're about to vote, which means then that second motion uh, will take precedence and vote be voted on first before. What second motion? What second motion? Well, you had made a motion and I had seconded, but uh, Commissioner, uh, you did just made one. So at this point in time, that's a motion that will be voted on first. Yeah, so he did. basically what we did, what he, he made he a did, motion and Commissioner Geller seconded it. Right. It was, a, it was the same thing, basically. Yeah. Um, it's a little different. But what the, what the county attorney said, that they're going to go back and, and draft okay. and right. look at everything and make sure that we're in compliance with our actual okay. code, right? That's what you said. Yes. Right. So, 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 so I'm going to vote, gonna go vote in favor of uh, Commissioner Udine's motion. But I, I'm going to ask your indulgence. I, I, I need to leave. I have a uh, we're done. A serious major family health uh, situation with one of my sons, so I, I, I won't be in the shade meeting. Uh, I, I'm having to go take care of some some stuff for my son. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you. So at this time, we've we've concluded discussion on the item. It's already we've direct we've given direction. The minute secretary has it on record. Um, do, we're, we're going to. We have a motion on the floor that has a, approved that direction. Uh, has a. Well, I, I had an amended motion that was second. That needs to be that. That I just want to add that my motion has nothing to do with taxpayer dollars. It only has to do with what we did two years ago, requiring companies at the airport to increase the. To, he would direct uh, write an ordinance of those companies to increase. Excuse me, commissioner. I'm sorry. I'm speaking. And all it has to do is with, it has nothing to do with our taxpayer money. So there, the analysis doesn't really need to be applied here. I spoke to uh, our airport director. He didn't think over laying it out over years would have an effect, uh, have any major effect. And I believe, I, I guess yeah. the consensus was out of an abundance of caution to let the county attorney go back and look at what you were saying. Nobody was disagreeing with your motion, okay. but it was part of the motion to direct. We just want to make sure that he goes back and verifies that that's within the rules and guidelines right. that we've already set forth. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So at this point in time, we have the motions on the floor. You want to take them separately or you want to just send no, it, I, do I, it as one? I think it's one motion you deem includes bogus. I'm asking the county attorney. Should we take that as one, or should we take it together? Uh, unless any movement feels otherwise, I think we understand the direction, and if it's the 
motion statement that's in the agenda item, uh, which is basically what Commissioner Dean said, then we're fine with that. We don't need to take them separately. Okay. So then we'll have only one motion at this time. So I had a motion by Commissioner um, Second. Bogan, seconded by Commissioner Udine. Geller or Udine. Which right. one are you seconding for? Udine. Okay. Commissioner Udine, you second your motion right now? Yeah, well, Geller right. is seconding for It was your you. motion. Okay. Okay. Do we start? Right. 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 And I seconded that. Some difference. There are taxpayer dollars even right. ask an airport company to do that. I, it would cascade through the. My point is, I agree with what Mark, uh, Commissioner Bogan is saying. I understand. But it's going to cascade through the whole organization, and I want to see how that plays out right. before right. I vote for it. Right. Correct. Okay, so th that's the motion to direct. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor of that motion to direct, signify by saying aye. 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 All opposed. Let the record show that that passes unanimously. Uh, wait, no, we're not. The agenda has been completed and our public meeting agenda and we're now adjourned. The commissioners will the commissioners will be moving to room 430 for a scheduled closed session regarding collective bargaining consistent with Florida statute section 447.605. The closed session is not open to the public. Thank you.